recognized safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Join us each week as we discuss the best and most bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. And remember, the truth will keep you safe. Hey everybody, it is your good friend, Dr. David Proden from down here in the North Star Recording Studio. Side by side, I've got the pilot cam over there, just so you know that it is there. And uh, the pilot is very steady. It's actually uh, Graham flying that, but we'll get to him in just a moment. So welcome, welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast. We had a special show last night on the psychology of 9-11, the rescue of 500,000 people from Lower Manhattan in nine hours. The transference dynamic, Admiral Loy, an alpha decision to make a determination. If you have a boat, get down to Battery Park and rescue people. The Delta Force, which came to life, and how that whole rescue kind of unfolded. Something that really isn't talked about much with the 9-11 rescue. So that was last night. Thank you for participating in that really intriguing show, which was also included in the book, School of Airs, Rethinking School Safety in America. Uh, three chapters about that rescue working, the doc here working with the folks at the uh, Department of Planning in New York City. And we unpacked that, right? It was Rocky Four in 1985. Have to do with the rescue of nine, 500,000 people in nine hours. But you know what? We are on to a show tonight with a guest um, that I'm very excited to have on this show, right? We've we've done a lot of prep work for this. Um, Graham Wilson, who I'm going to bring into the studio in just a bit, he's landing. You can't do both of those. You can't podcast and land at the same time. He'll taxi in and we'll have him here. Um, but I really enjoy his channel. Uh, he has some kind of vintage stuff on his channel, which is absolutely hilarious from the 2010-11 uh, era. And now he's been doing podcasting of, of different aspects um, of being a pilot, right? And especially uh, like a flight in instructor and the nuances of pilots, uh, safety and how those interface. Um, so I'm going to welcome our good friend, Graham Wilson, to the show. Graham, <laughs> welcome to the show. Uh, hey, Doc. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm really stoked to be here. It should be pretty cool tonight, I think. Yeah, this is awesome. So as I was telling Graham, um, you know, although he's in Canada, we do have a difference because I am located only eight miles from the sun, as you can tell by this picture <laughs> that has a white balance of 97% from my webcam, which apparently is unadjustable. Um, but with that in mind, um, you know, I'm okay. I'm, you know, everybody's like, put on sunscreen, take off the sport coat. And I'm like, it's, it's not, it's, you know, it's an illusion, right? You know, and it's one of those things when you're flying, you probably see like the artificial horizon. It's kind of what we're at right here. So not let me, bad. let me tell you a little bit about uh, Graham. So Graham Wilson is a freelance flight instructor in Windsor, Canada, whose YouTube channel is super pilotish. And I have an entire blog post that will come out on Safety PhD tomorrow about this show 
Most of it is already in the show description if you want to kind of get a head start, but it's all ready to go. Um, he has worked as a chief flight instructor, chief pilot, operations manager, and was formerly an accredited Transport Canada pilot examiner. He has worked various jobs in manufacturing, the service sector, and was formerly a school board trustee. In addition to commercial pilot qualifications, he is also a certified general machinist and holds a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and a Diploma in Aviation Technology. His interests are flight instruction, motorcycles, gardening, and camping. Anything that I missed, Graham? Uh, no, but boy, that makes me sound really interesting or something like some kind of like James Bond kind of you guy. You are right? the James <laughs> Bond of Canada. I don't know. I, I, mean, was write, I was writing that out and I'm like, hey, that's me. <laughs> like, a, lot of people so. were, a lot of people have been kind of, you know, messaging me and hey, is, is that the James Bond of Canada you've got on? I said, it is. Well, not quite. <laughs> and, and, you know, so yeah. like it is. But okay. Well, but yeah, that's all true. <laughs> Mm-hmm. We, I'm going to give a shout out to uh, to a few people first. Um, our friend Solitude Surfer, thanks for being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jordan B from SK, thanks for being here, buddy. Vanessa K, all pro Lemonton awesome. on his bike coming in, so thank you. And we're going to uh, give a shout out over here to the uh, to the cam. Um, and this <laughs> this is our copter cam. It's the pilot cam over there. So thanks for working the pilot cam. That's a ghost that's doing that actually, Graham. Uh, so, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, whatever you the way that it is, it's kind of yeah. a poltergeist thing. All right. Works for us down here in the studio. Uh, so, so let's talk about, um, you know, being what we're going to cover today. One is we're going to talk about the decide model. You did a show. It's mm-hmm. a decision-making model, um, that's used in aviation training. I thought it was interesting because as a school safety expert, right, I never I never heard of this model. It makes a lot of sense. So we'll go through that and you're going to step us through that model today. We'll be talking about some of the biggest decisions you had to make while flying. Also, like, we know, what's the most obvious um, danger to flying? You'll tell us what that is. And also some nuanced things that can, you know, cause big problems with uh, with aircraft that people kind of don't don't think about. Um, and we will go from there into the the mechanical uh, failure. Something goes wrong with the plane. We actually have uh, an audio clip from a, a real scenario, right, of mm. a plane that had to declare a pilot that had to declare an emergency. And I, this is something too that that is intriguing from our discussions is is this kind of um, no fault process for you know declaring an emergency. Something goes wrong, mm-hmm. and I think that's yeah. different than in in America and I'm not necessarily saying for planes, but just the culture, like people hesitate here to call emergency services because you can get billed for it or, you know, your ambulance ride is $6,000 or the fire department comes out. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned about kind of this no fault, trying to make the system better. Is it professional development? Is it changing the, um, the piece of equipment? We're also going to talk a little bit about, the B-17 Flying Fortress and something um, that we learned from that and how that changed aviation forever. And coming down, going to kind of our, our uh, you know, closing points, you know, you're, you are a flight instructor. So what is it like to teach mm-hmm. flight um, students? And, you know, like, what, you know, what do you, what do you love about flying? And of course, questions from the audience. I see we have uh, Brandy B in here who is a, a first-time watcher of the show. So thank you, Brandy, for being here. Uh, so mm-hmm. Graham is doing autographs after the show. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but then he has, 
Oh, I got Get my it. pen all handy. There he's go. got his pen handy, so he's all good. Let's do it go. on the camera. <laughs> so, well, Graham, um, you know, I've uh, tell us, uh, yeah, you know, maybe kind of start us off with, uh, you know, just a little bit about about you, and and then you know we'll work into the decide model. Okay, sure. Uh, you know, this is one of the things that uh, uh, most pilots are like. Uh, they're pretty good at bragging about themselves and that, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm not that super pilot. I'm just super pilot-ish, so it's just uh, I don't quite have that bravado. But uh, yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll just kind of say how I got into flying. Uh, so uh, like uh, like you described, I, I was a machinist for a number of years, and I, I tried my hand at politics at uh, the very low level of uh, uh, school board trustee. Learned a lot there. And, uh, but eventually, you know, life kind of got, uh, I was creeping up on 30 there and I thought, uh, maybe I should uh, get out of this, uh, this noisy machine shop, try something a little bit different. So at the, uh, at the, I took a few little flying lessons and I thought, yeah, if I could get paid for this pretty good. Now you don't get paid that much, but I thought, eh, what the heck, I'm a single guy. I can do whatever I want. And uh, yeah, so I went, I went at the ripe old age of uh, 32, I went to Sioux College in uh, Sioux St. Marie, Ontario, which is right across from Sioux St. Marie, Michigan, and uh, learned how to fly there. And uh, one thing led to another, to another, to another. And then I ended up becoming, I, I would like to say, uh, uh, quite good at, at teaching people how to fly specifically from kind of zero to proficient and safe. And so that's, uh, I've uh, had a good, good run at that, and then I thought, well, okay, now I'll try. <laughs> I'll be a YouTube star. That's easy. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting rich off that, right? No, uh, <laughs> I'm not. Uh, but it was, um, uh, I, you know, I just thought things have changed in the last little while, right? So I figured I'll just kind of freelance and see how I can uh, uh, make a living that way, and we'll, we'll call it semi-retired, and uh, that's where I am today. It's an awesome place to be. So, uh, and and you released a video today where you had a DVD. Mm -hmm. I think it was Bat Batman, right? The Dark Knight Rises, and uh, you're you're <laughs> using it to. You had somebody with you, and you're testing the the what we hear in survival, right? You know, bring a CD because it, if you it'll reflect light, and people will be able to find where you're at. And how did mm -hmm. that go, by the way? Well, uh, yeah. Well, okay. So I went camping this weekend because. Uh, uh, I like doing that. And I thought, well, you know, you, you got a lot of time to kill when you're camping. So it's like, okay, let's do this experiment. And, uh, previously I was, I was, I did a little video about that and, uh, just some survival tips. And I'd only heard about that, uh, from, I don't know, uh, just general survival, uh, little class here I took maybe, or, uh, YouTube videos. And there's, uh, I went and tried it in real life and it just didn't work. <laughs> I mean, it was like, wait a minute. This is like this. I, I could be on the edge of like busting an urban myth or something like that. But uh, I don't know if we didn't do it right or whatever, but uh, I, that's, it's the only, uh, it, I just uh, posted the video today. It's the only, the only one that I could really find on YouTube that had a, a real life experiment where, you know, you can shine it on, uh, I was shining it on trees and shining it right. on my car and, uh, and, and little shadowy stuff, but not very far. And at about 500 feet, you could barely make it out. And, and, uh, I, I could, uh, like usually the, the lowest you're going to be flying around or search and rescue is like, you can't be too low 
when you're flying search right. and rescue, you right. got to be at a certain height so you can see down. Uh, if you're too low, you can't see as wide. Uh, so they have their altitudes for operational uh, reasons. And uh, so it's like, okay, I'm guessing around, you know, a thousand feet up. And there's no way you'd be able to see it at that. We could barely see it at 500 feet. Uh, and you can check that out on the Super Pilotish channel uh, if you want. And that, you know, it's an interesting thing, right? Because we think about safety and what should you pack? Um, and and we hear, you know, well, the CD was one thing. And, and I um, I shared like a whistle um, because the, the universal sign for distress is like, you know, three whistle blast or. Right. Oh, there's all kinds of really good uh, safety tips out there. That was a good one. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so and then, you know, so, and Graham is kind of into this. You know, he's like, you know, next week, you know, that scene in Jaws where you, you shot the uh, oxygen tank and exploded. He's like, I'm not sure that would really work. So I'm like, uh, but I'm like oh, no, Graham. I mean, that's kind of taking it to a different level and really take, be safe. Well, you know, when you're trying that and. And, but yeah, so that's a, that's an upcoming <laughs> video, man. Um, so, yeah. I'll get arrested for that, man. I'm in Canada. <laughs> Maybe wow. if you're in Tennessee, that'd be a regular weekend. <laughs> oh my goodness. Sounds like you've, fun, actually. You've never been to Inglewood, California, my friend. Um, mm. So, so we have this, there, there's a model, right? It's called the decide model mm -hmm. of um, base. So you're in a plane and, and something goes wrong. So again, as a flight instructor, this is something you teach to your students, something that was taught to you um, and decide is an ac acronym. Um, but so, so the purpose of this, if I'm correct, right, is to, to give you a kind of logic loop that you work through and, to hopefully, you know, the mm -hmm. person isn't panicking that they're going through and being able to identify, you know, what it, what is happening in certain steps. So I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to take myself out of the screen and, and have you talk about this, this uh, decide model and, and sure. you know, maybe give some examples of that. So, okay, let's, uh, we'll do another, uh, this is, this will be a little bit of a rerun of what I did a, a few weeks ago, but uh, I think I'm going to use uh, a little bit more of a, uh, it, the decide model can be used on uh, on any time that you're making a decision. And the whole idea of it is that you're going to have an organized way of doing it, not just haphazard. Oh, let's do this. Oh, I remember doing that before. I'll do that again. Uh, and especially if you have two crew in the cockpit, uh, you might have uh, dissimilar backgrounds. And so if you have a, a consistent method of deciding what to do, uh, you're not going to get that haphazard uh, dealing with it. So without further ado, I don't have a whiteboard, but I do have the cardboard. Here we go. Got this, uh, actually got this cardboard from across the street. The neighbor's moving and she put it out front and I'm like, yeah, actually got little airplanes on the back. That was from a different show. Okay. So we're going to go through that decide model. Okay. I was thinking about this. I did on a previous show. Uh, I was talking about how you could have an alternator failure in your uh, airplane, but I was thinking of something else here that uh, just to kind of go along with just general safety where you could use the decide model for, for anything. So because uh, Doc here is the uh, school safety expert, I'm going to use a little uh, uh, a theoretical example of what could happen and how you would apply the decide model if you're a school bus driver. So uh okay so the d stands for detect okay detect 
we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna detect some sort of a change. So something's you're driving the driving the kids to school in the morning. Everything's pretty cool, and then there's some sort of a change. What's the change? Now we'll say this is in the winter time in Wisconsin. Just to give a shout out to <laughs> those uh, all those cheese heads out there, and. Uh, so you detect a change of school bus drivers looking at it and the uh, temperature gauge on the bus is up a little bit high. Now this is the winter time, right? So that's a change that's unusual. And uh, how unusual is it? Okay, you have to estimate next. Okay, so you're gonna estimate how risky is that to me right now? Risk level. Okay, well, you got to, let's just say you're going down the interstate and uh, it, maybe it snowed. It's uh, the shoulders are kind of okay. They're kind of plowed, but, you know, could you really pull over if the bus breaks down? Mm, you're estimating your risk here. So the next thing you got to do is take into the account of the variables that you have, uh, the, all the factors, and you're going to, we're going to choose an outcome. Choose. Uh, da, da, da. Desired outcome. <laughs> Nothing but the finest neat printing here. Outcome. All right. So you're thinking, okay, how risky is this to get to pull over on the side of the road? Eh, that can be pretty risky. And But what do I really want to do here? I want the desired outcome is for those kids to get to school on time, nice and safely. So this is where I identify uh, how we could do that. So identify, identify. And so solutions. And this is the part of the decide model where you're going to be making a plan. Okay. Taking in the, you've chosen your desired income. You're getting the kids to school on time and safely. Okay. What are the solutions here? Now the bus is still running. Okay. So, you know, you estimated the risk levels, not too bad, but it could get worse. Right? So you're going to make up your plan. Okay. You're going to, uh, okay. Uh, you're just going to kind of keep an eye on it here. And uh, maybe you'll I don't know, reduce your speed a little bit. See if that changes anything. So you're going to do the action here. I will say necessary actions. Yeah. So if you uh, if you slow down your bus, the engine's not turning quite as fast. Maybe it'll cool down. And it is cold outside because it's the winter time. Okay, the last thing you're going to do, so you're going to do, you're, you're going to slow down there, kind of keep an eye on the gauge, and then you're going to evaluate what happens next. And this is where you're going to be monitoring the situation. And have you figured it out yet that this bus could also be an airplane? Okay, so here we go. So here we go. We're uh, we got a temperatures a uh, little bit high. Keeping an eye on it. We're gonna slow down a bit. See if anything happens. Now we're monitoring the situation. 
okay, and uh, you're going to be looking around, hmm, maybe I might have to take the next exit. Uh, what if the bus breaks down? I don't want to let all the kids out on the side of the road, so let's might have to pull off of the interstate. So we'll keep an eye on the, uh, uh, keep in mind where we can get off the interstate if we have to, and uh, maybe even uh, find like a big parking lot or something where another bus can pick the kids up, bring them to school. And uh, all right, so here we go. Now you detect a different change. Now you've noticed that the oil light just went on on the engine. Okay, wait a minute. We got we got a high engine temperature. Oil light just went on. That's for the oil pressure gauge. Okay, we better be getting off the interstate. <clears throat> so that was all part of the plan. And now you detected it. You're estimating the risk level. The risk level has gone up now. And we're back into the loop here, right? You're going to choose your desired outcome. Okay, I'm going to pull off at the very next, uh, the very next uh, exit. Hopefully, there's a parking lot there or something. Usually, bus drivers are pretty good about knowing uh, their area or airplanes flying around by their local airport. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then uh, so you're going to identify the. Uh, uh, you got to make your new plan. So, okay, your plan is okay. I'm going to go and exit the next. Uh, at the next uh, off-ramp. Gonna find the, the biggest parking lot I can find, and then I'm gonna get on the uh, call-up dispatch and say, okay, I'm getting off at exit number whatever. Bring another bus to get the kids to school on time. So you do the necessary action there. Okay, you pull off the highway. Hey, look at that. <laughs> there's, a, there's a McDonald's, they're everywhere. Walmart, yeah, they're everywhere, right? So, okay, nice big parking lot, you pull in there. And uh, and then, okay, we're going to monitor the situation here, keep the engine running, keep the kids warm, and say, okay, come on down, pick up the kids. So there we go. The bus comes. You've picked a nice big parking lot. So uh, they, can take, they can easily and safely load the kids onto the bus. Uh, there's room for a tow truck to take the, uh, the bus away. And uh, you get the day off. <laughs> so there we go. Kids get to school all uh, safe and on time. And all oh, thanks to the Decide model. How's that for you, Doc? Well, that was incredible. I love that example <laughs> of using the bus. And actually, I'm going to take that from you if you don't mind. Steal and, it. Uh, steal it all you want. Decide everything. <laughs> yeah. That is great. And, mm -hmm. and and so, Graham, I, that was that was tremendous. And also, um, I. You know the the point you were saying is communication with dispatch, right? Because when you're so you're a bus driver um, to keep in contact with dispatch and say here's what's going on, and and you had this on your video when you're talking about the decide model in a plane, mm -hmm. right? Where where something is happening and you are communicating back to um, what ground control? Oh uh, yeah, to uh, uh, air traffic control. Air traffic. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and even if air traffic, if you can't hear them, you know, maybe there's a chance, right? If you're communicating, they can still hear you. So, mm -hmm. so with the, with the bus driver to, to stay in communication. And this is something where, um, we tend the, if you know, we follow a model like this, um, there's this part that is kind of an envelope of it and that's communication. So if you're able to, if you have a communication system, right, you're talking to your dispatcher or you're talking to somebody else and, and let them know what you're working through. It's something also called the Socratic method, right? If, if, mm -hmm. if you talk through um, 
a kind of, I, I wouldn't say a, a crisis or um, an uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. This isn't really a disaster, but um, you, you talk through it. It actually helps you process it too. And the kids are listening behind. They're like, what? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Boss is overheating. We're going to be at the Walmart and the McDonald's. <laughs> like that is a dollar cone day for everybody. Here. But, uh, <laughs> so I appreciate that. Anybody in, in the chat, we have uh, Misty, Mrs. Wayne Toytown has joined us. Some of our regulars. So, Thank you very, very much. Um, so, yeah, anybody have, you know, any questions? Um, I'd be glad to, you know, to to, to bring those yeah. up. So, bring I, them up. Bring them up. I'll be more than happy to answer. I, I like I like the, you know, the decide model to to detect because I think part of detect is you have to be very aware of your baseline. And with everything going on, you know, like people, they're walking down the street, right? Just in general. Mm -hmm. and they have Situational awareness. Yeah. And, and I, I saw a couple of weeks ago, someone was walking and they almost walked right into traffic. Right. And, and I was like, whoa. And you know, of course it's, it's earbuds, it's a phone, it's other things. And so you're not aware. So it's that, that ability to know your baseline of what's happening around you. And we can, and this could be weather, right. You know, Wisconsin and, 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 you know, or, or Canada, right. You know, the, the weather can change and it, it <laughs> absolutely very wild. Um, but to, to understand where your baseline is and then change from baseline. So, you, so you're measuring, you know, like you, you, you observe on the bus. Okay. Oh, it's kind of, it, it's on the just fringe of the red area for hot. And it's like, okay, now, you know, that's, that's when I recognized that that was the baseline. And now five minutes later, it's flashing faster and it's, you know, almost all the way over on red. So it's a change from baseline. It's not, it's not static. So, um, and then, you know, also to timestamp those things, I think is important if you can, if you can tell people this is, I, I'm seeing this and it is whatever time, you know, and then that gives people an idea of how quickly a situation is is changing. Um, so this is, is an awesome model. I, I appreciate it. I'm going to use it. So let me go okay. over to, um, uh, we have a, a comment here from uh, Bacon. Ah, Mr. Bacon. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> I'm so, I'm subscribed to him, you know. So, Are you? Yeah, well, yeah. He, he, he has his shows, yeah, Friday night, and he starts them at ten and ends them the next morning at seven a.m. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> so, it, yeah. Uh, well, I'm not going to say too much about that. I'm a yes. I'm a I'm one of those cool, calm, sober pilot guys <laughs> there, so I wouldn't know anything about what Mr. Bacon does. But uh, he's energized. I, he's, I do. Uh, it, it, he reminds me a lot of um, every once in a while when my friends uh, like to get together and uh, solve all the world's problems. He he does that, but he does it online. So it's like I really like you, Bacon. And I and I don't know uh, Bacon if if you've uh, been maintaining your blog post, but he had a, a very I thought articulate blog post going on uh, during the pandemic. And Bacon was a guest on my show, and we talked about uh, pandemic lingo or a lot of new terms that people had to learn. Um, such as safer at home, social distance. Social distance became a lexicon word. So if someone said it, you knew you had to be six feet apart. And, and he was doing an inventory of these things. A really great show. And Bacon was also a guest on my show the night that Wisconsin burned. And uh, Nick Schulander <laughs> had his door kicked in and had to fight somebody yeah. off uh, with, a, with a can of Spam in order to keep his guitar, which was made of cement. It was just a crazy night. But uh, <laughs> let's see what Bacon says. If my oil light comes on, I'm running the engine just long enough to get within landing distance. 
could mean the pump is out and nothing kills an engine faster than oil starvation. Is that? That is absolutely 100% correct. And, you know, we teach that, uh, I teach this scenario, not with the school bus, but with the airplane. And, uh, so yeah, Mr. Bacon's all right on that one. Uh, yeah. So what you're looking at is you'll usually say if you have a low oil pressure, a high oil, oil temperature, there's no, uh, liquid cooling in uh, airplanes. It's all air cooled. Oh, but okay. there's a but there's an oil temperature gauge there too. High temperature, low pressure. That means chances are you don't have any oil oil starvation, like what uh, <laughs> the GED bacon said. I'm gonna keep it all nice and uh, uh, child uh, or what do you call it, rated PG, unlike his show. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, he's absolutely right on there. And uh, yeah, if you see that oil and. Well, that, that's where the decide model, if you're in an airplane, would be, okay, I'm keeping an eye on this. I've told the control tower dispatch, you know, uh, I got, I'm going to have a problem here. And then and if your engine quits now, okay, now we have an emergency. And But in the meantime, you've been looking for a field that you could probably glide into or sure. you get into the first airport you can possibly find. So, uh, yeah, Bacon's right on that. Sure, wow. you're not. A, you're sure you're not a pilot. Bacon? I know. You know, Bacon comes up with all of this kind of you know ancillary information that is very deep in very specific areas, and I'm like, whoa! Like, how did you know that that's how this lays? You know, it's all put together. We have a question from Solitude Surfer: um, Do planes run full synthetic oil? So. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So for airplanes, the uh, uh, that oil debate is kind of the same as like for uh, older motorcycle engines or uh, or air, uh, car engines. Okay. Usually, uh, airplanes do not run synthetic oil. Uh, some do, but uh, generally they stick to um, how would we put this uh, old school oil? I guess uh, uh, it's Engine, airplane engines are actually a very old design, and uh, they're uh, they're very uh, they're not high compression. That everything about the airplane engine is designed for uh, reliability. So, say you burn a little bit more gas, or uh, all airplane engines actually consume oil. So, if you have a really ex a really expensive synthetic oil, it's going to bring up your operating costs quite a bit. Uh, so generally you don't have that. Um, so you would have, uh, but yeah, so the cylinders are all loosey goosey. Uh, so nothing's tight, nothing binds. And like you could lose a cylinder and the engine will still run and it'll just be rough. Uh, so, I mean, if you totally blow it off, it won't, but you know, if you lose compression in it, the other ones will pick up the slack. So the it's everything on the engines have been tweaked out over the years. Uh, so they're absolutely super bulletproof, reliable, and so I would say uh, I have heard of some people running synthetic oil, but uh, the long pilot answer is you can do it, but it's pretty expensive and not many people do. Okay, so I would have thought I would have thought it'd be the other way around. Um, so so that's that's interesting. Mm. Uh, well, you figure if you're up in the air, uh, uh, who cares if you, like who cares if your engine lasts. Uh, you know, or how would you put that? You get another two knots of speed, but your engine's going to, the engine life of it's going to go down by 500 hours of operating time. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, they, they've just, all the engineers have been working on that. Like all the little airplanes you see flying around, uh, no kidding. There's uh, those engines. You look at a plane from 1925, the engine looks pretty much the same. 
It looks like a Volkswagen bug engine is what it looks wow. like. So yeah. you, you talked about that. And, and one thing we talked about, and, um, you know, a question I'm probably going to preempt from people is, um, you know, how many people try to put a car engine in an airplane, right? <laughs> and you said there's also reasons to maybe not do that. Oh, you saw that but, video, eh? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, um, you know, tell me what tell me what you see on on that. Yeah, well, uh, uh, this is a, it's a touchy subject. Some right. people, uh, well, for pilots, uh, the guys that uh, they, you are allowed to actually build your own airplane, uh, and periodically, uh, someone from I guess in the states would be the FAA would come by and take a look at it. It's like uh is that wing gonna fall off uh yeah okay you might want to stick another bolt on there or uh here in transport canada up in canada same thing so uh yeah the, the thing is people will put on uh, put car engines into airplanes because they can uh in the old days ultralights they put chainsaw engines on these things and uh so <laughs> That's why there's none of them around anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah. You don't see any used ultralights for sale anymore. You know, like it's kind of like a chainsaw uh, engine. That is yeah. okay. Yeah. And then eventually they kind of tweaked it out and a company called uh, Rotax. They, now they have like certified aircraft engines. But at the time, people were just sticking on chainsaw engines and letting it rip. And then, so uh, of course, they'd conk out. Uh, but it was a cheap way of getting around. And so, and that's the whole thing, you know, you're, it's, uh, it's all kind of a airplanes. Are, it's kind of like cars uh, where it, it's a, a cost benefit thing, you know, faster you want to go more money. It's going to cost you, uh, you want to save a lot of gas. Well, you won't be going that fast. Right. So yeah, it's, it's all a trade-off like that. Or uh, if you, how uh, do you want to really, fast airplane well you're going to have a longer landing and takeoff distance if you want a really short takeoff and landing distance you'll have a slow airplane that's kind of it's all a trade-off with that so uh i hope that answered the uh, question <laughs> so i have i have a question um let's go it did, it did let's go let's go back to the um the the decide model right so you're you're bringing in a plane and you know you're you have the choice to declare an emergency. You know, let's say there's mm -hmm. something wrong with the alternator, and this this was from um, a show that that Graham had had done specific to the decide model. And yep. so, tell me tell me about the process of declaring an emergency with the tower, um, kind of from that that first like <laughs> call to the I guess sure. to ground control or flight control, and then also like all the way through like after you land and, and people are kind of like, you know, checking out the plane and interviewing you and, um, and tell me, yeah, tell me about that process. Okay. Well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you a little story about, uh, okay. there was, uh, where I used to work. There's, uh, one of these guys, uh, it was, um, he was studying to and practicing to, to get his commercial license. He had already got his private pilot's license so he could go fly around on his own. So he's just getting some more hours. He was uh, coming back. It was right around, uh, how does it work? It was right around dusk. He was going to go get some night flying hours. And then he got just a little bit out of the control zone. He he thought something was a little funny. I forget what it was. It was a, uh, uh, yeah, I forget exactly what it was. But it, sure. was, it, it turned out to be uh, inconsequential. Okay. But he wasn't sure. So he said, oh, 
I, I see this warning light go on. Okay. Uh, so he said, okay, I'm immediately going back to the, uh, back to the airport. So he told him, uh, I've got this, you know, I think it was a vacuum failure, but there's two vacuum pumps. So one was redundant. So it was okay. I think that was it. So he didn't know really too much about the airplane. So he's like, ah, this is no good. I'm going back. Turns around and he tell the, told the control tower, okay, I'm having a problem with my airplane. So when they hear that, uh, I mean, they're, they're not all pilots that are uh, air traffic controls, but when they hear, I have a problem with my airplane, they think, oh boy, right. do I call an ambulance or, you know what? So uh, he said that, uh, are you going to declare an emergency? And uh, uh, then the kid was thinking, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so anyways, uh and the engine was running fine. He's fine. He made it back to the airport. Uh, they gave him a priority to land. So he is number one for the runway came in. Uh, he said it was really strange because he was landing. a It was on a great big long runway. So he was uh, landing a little bit longer, not right at the beginning. Okay. So he didn't have to taxi so far to get off. And right at the very end of the runway, he was coming into land and he looked down and there's two fire trucks there and just waiting for him. Then as soon as he passed, they got out on the on the runway behind him and he could see him like just burning out there. <laughs> and then uh, he, he came to slow down and they were like right there with him. So uh, they, they kind of scrambled the uh, the uh, fire rescue people, uh, uh, firefighters, I guess, at the airport and everything turned out fine. Uh, now, because I was the boss at the time, I got to I got to deal with. Okay, what happened here? He told me the whole story. He did declare an emergency, kind of reluctantly, but still, right thing to do. I don't know. My airplane's not running good. It's an emergency, right, <laughs> so right. no harm, no foul. And then, uh, yeah, there was uh, yeah no real follow up on that. I had to kind of explain to him that it was like okay in this plane. I'm pretty sure it was the vacuum pump that went on it. Because I know there was two on that airplane, and so if one fails, the other one still runs. Your instruments work off of that, and okay. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Uh, if it was anything uh, really drastic, and uh, Transport Canada was asking me for questions, or if there was an accident, I'd, I'd remember that. <laughs> so right. it was like, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what it was. And still declared an emergency. Was it an emergency? Well, uh, better safe than sorry, right? So Transport Canada, for anyone who's listening in the U.S., that is the equivalent largely that, of the FAA. That's, yeah, that's basically the equivalent of the FAA. Yeah. So so declaring an emergency um, and then, um, you know, afterwards, in, in some cases, like it's going to be, I think, the example um, in your in your podcast where you said alternators. So is it is it, you know, is it the part that failed or is it something else with a uh, with us? With a training, with the, the procedures that the pilot did that, that um, you know, caused this to happen and can it be remedied by training. Uh, but it sounds, so this is something that, that sticks out when you're talking about this, because it sounds like um, people would be less hesitant. Although, you know, there's some hesitation, right? Of like, do I really want to to call this? But um, of, of the way that you're trained, and, and you talked about this of primacy when we had a discussion. You know, if your flight instructor is saying, "Hey, uh -huh. if something's not right, <laughs> right? If you're if you're going uh -huh. through and you're running your decide model and, and something isn't isn't right here, go ahead and declare, you know, that emergency." Uh -huh. And I I don't know if everybody has if where people's um, tolerance level, their their threshold is on that to to do that, and then also. Um, 
I guess the consequences of it, I, and we talked about it before. I, I mm-hmm. see more people when I work on Saturday, I taught, you know, first year school superintendents and, and we have different case studies we go through and there's a hesitation because, you know, will I get charged for these services if they come out? Will also the services kind of be upset, you know, that I brought them into this and, 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 uh, and I think that's that's really an essential part because it transfers to anything, right? It transfers to someone, you know, that you're with saying, boy, my arm is numb and my back is sore and my chest kind of hurts, but it's probably nothing. And, you know, and you're like, whoa, like <laughs> I'm declaring an emergency. We're going to call 911. And, yeah. you know, that could be a heart attack. And, and if it's not, then, you know, maybe there's something else that's going on or it just was, you know, it fell into that pattern of being outside of your baseline, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not the way this person feels every day. So I think um, so. When you teach students, do you see this reluctance to you know they're like, oh, if I call an emergency, I've kind of failed, right? You know, how do, uh, how do you get people beyond that? Yeah, well, that's uh, that is a uh, it's a natural tendency. Uh, I mean, people uh, oh, people don't like being embarrassed, you know. Oh, I don't want to look stupid, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, you kind of have to. Uh, break through that. Uh, um, I, I, I guess you would say, like, uh, to declare an emergency, you're not stupid if your engine's on fire, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> or uh, if, uh, uh, but you don't know what could. And I guess maybe uh, a little example that I, that I would give to a student is that uh, it could be something inconsequential here, but down the road uh another five minutes it could be worse another 10 minutes it could be worse now put yourself a half hour down the road and then oh you know things could get really bad uh so if you nip it in the bud and take care of that uh so it's not really right uh it's not anything to be embarrassed about or anything another thing too is that a, a really big one uh that uh uh, even really seasoned pilots are really bad uh, with, um, I did a little video about here in Canada, we call it an overshoot everywhere else in the world. They call it a go around where you're going to come into land. Things aren't looking right. And you just say, no, not going to land. And then you just uh, you give her the power and go fly around and try it again. Well, a lot of people, they think, oh, if your approach is bad, the wind's junk, you're bouncing it off the runway uh you know well oh I, it was such a bad bounce i had to go around and then so people think well i can get this thing down there i'll make this plane land and it's like, a lot of times that's that's how people get in accidents and so i i always made it a point when i was the boss there uh in charge of training and i i made a point to my instructors to tell people too that uh, every time somebody does a go around like give them a high five say good job you know that's uh you should be rewarded for chickening out, <laughs> you know. So the uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> we got the pilot cam. Yeah. So if you are going to be, uh, you know, doing something safe, that should always be rewarded. So I guess possibly for uh, in a case where it would be a school or administrators or something like that, if you can kind of change the culture to. Uh, you know, you did something very safe there. <laughs> now, of course, there's money involved and all this other stuff too, but right. uh, you know, uh, uh, safety costs money, but the thing is the cost of not doing the safety can often be more expensive. And yeah. just it, as, an, as an example for, uh, uh, for in the aviation industry, uh, you know, a lot of people like 
20, 30 years ago, they would be flaunting the rules and say, ah, that's just some old rule. I'm, I'm up in the bush here. There's no Transport Canada inspector around. And then they go and they crash the planes and stuff. And then their insurance goes up and then they're out of business. So if you, so, right. so really uh, safety is cheaper in the long run. Uh, you could make that argument too. And you could even use the aviation industry as an example of it. You know, and going back to your, um, you know, when you went through the decide model with the, the bus, right? So, you know, a, another 10 minutes down on the interstate where there isn't an off-ramp, right? And suddenly the engine seizes in the bus stops and a semi, you know, hits it from behind, right? I mean, these, yeah. these things can can happen. So so I think that's a, that's a key point you brought up, um, you know, that I want to reiterate is, right, in, in that moment, you know, where you were at as that situation was developing, you have to, to to stop or maybe have someone external who can look at it and say, right, but if this would have played out another five minutes, another 10 minutes, 15, 20, this could be where you could have been at, which was a mm -hmm. lot harder than your options are limited, right? And, and it can be much more severe. I don't think people think about that, right? They, mm -hmm. um, so, so I think that is, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. It's just in life, right? And in, in general that we, mm -hmm that we live by, by these things of, of recognizing, right, detecting, and then going through and making our decisions. And there's no, there's no shame and no blame in, in calling that emergency because we have professional discretion. We're trained in this, right? If you're a pilot, you're, you're, you're trained, you're, you're uh -huh. understanding, you're detecting that something is wrong. If you're a bus driver, right, you're detecting something is different than your baseline. Um, and, and to call that and to have it reinforced, like from people up above, right. Which seems to be the culture, um, in, yeah. in uh, uh, leading by example is, uh, is absolutely huge. Yeah. So if this were to happen, uh, say, uh, and I think the word you were looking for before was a, a non-punitive yes. uh, safety system. Right. So all of aviation is a non-punitive safety system. So it's not the, the person's fault. There's a flaw with the system where maybe it wasn't providing enough training or it uh, could have been something else. The, the limitations for the weather were not good for that region of the country. You know, we should tighten that up. So, uh, yeah. So for the uh, just just to kind of go back to your non punitive right. thing. And so right. that gets into what you really want to call in aviation, uh, whether it goes right from the, the airlines down to little flying you know, little flying schools, uh, charter operations. They're, they're, they're over, it's taken a while, but there, there's been a, a safety culture that's developed. So once the culture is there, then it, it kind of takes care of itself and everyone new coming into it as the, as the old, uh, the old barnstormer guys go out of the, <laughs> you know, as they were just getting disappeared back in the fifties and everything, it all kind of came around to, uh, uh, safety and a lot of that came from um, the military too, because uh, during uh, you know during World War One when it, when they were training pilots, uh, they were losing a lot of pilots because they were crashing their planes. So they right. improved they improved their uh, instruction a bit. Then in World War Two, they're they're losing planes all over the place for uh, they lost more planes in training than they did by uh, getting the enemy shooting them down. So. Now they weren't as expensive planes, but they still lost more. So, and then they, what happened was after World War II, they went through all these accident investigations. And this is what they did in Canada anyways. And I know a guy that did this, an old guy. And so they took all the, he was a, he was a young, uh, young captain. And they said, here you go, captain, here's all the 
here's all the crashes, boom, develop a safety system. So he and a few guys got together for the wow. military and uh, they looked at, okay, what's the common causes of uh, what and what's the common causes of all these crashes? And so they said, okay, let's make these rules for the military. And eventually it kind of went through the years and uh, that all kind of got worked into uh, NATO countries and Canada and everywhere. And it was the same thing was going on in the United States too. All the NATO countries were uh, uh, taking care of the, we're doing kind of all the same thing. So that's really where the safety culture came from way back when came from military to civilian and then uh, and on to where we are now. So there's, there's, there's two things I wanted to bring into that and then, um, you know, get, we have some, some great questions in the chat, right? So, um, you know, you talked about World War One and World War II, um, you know, what was learned about aviation and in World War II, the Flying Fortress, the B-17 um, was being crashed at a, a higher than anticipated rate, right? And it would be things like pilots bringing the plane in for a landing and, the, and they would crash it. Um, and it was, and I don't know what this person's role is. It was a cross between a psychiatrist and an engineer. So a psycho engineer, I don't know what it is. This person's <laughs> job, but, but this, so the pilots were getting blamed, right? Careless pilots, you know, and, and, uh, you know, wrecking these planes. And ultimately what was discovered was, um, a, a few things. One, the layout of the controls in the B-17 flying fortress were different from plane to plane. Uh, and, and so if you anticipate something to be right here on it, right here, it might be over here, you know? And, and so that was one thing that the cockpits were laid out differently. And the other thing was, as they were talking to pilots and, and the pilot, you know, pilots would say like <laughs> every, every knob, every control is like this, the same, it's the same design, same size, same. So like the location is just slightly different. So if it's dark, right, you're trying to land or, or something else is going on and you're occupied, you can't feel your way around the cockpit very well. Um, you know, so what they did mm -hmm. is they adjust it and they had different sizes. So something would be round and something would be elongated and something would have bumps on it and whatever so like you could fly by feel and what happened significantly fewer crashes um because people were the pilots knew the orientation of the planes right so i thought that was an amazing thing it's also going to be in the blog post and i'll link out there's an article to that but that was you know mm -hmm. in world war ii but a heavy blame initially kind of on the pilots of hey you're being careless you know take it easy mm. and, and then um oh everyone always likes to blame the pilot because that right. that, that that's an easy one it's just like you you're fired hey that's easy right you know it can't be like uh let's redesign the entire engine Ugh, you know like <laughs> so it's cheaper to just blame a fire and get another pilot to go in there and crash the same plane but i'm really glad uh yeah before we uh uh went on here today you were telling me about the b-17 now i always knew that the uh uh, in 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 airplanes even today is that uh, the landing gear it's a little circle it looks like a wheel feels like a wheel you know you can feel the tire on the outside it's a little thinner on the inside so it's like a wheel and the uh, the flap is like a flap so it's a it's a little square <laughs> and it's uh, it's even tapered just like a flap is tapered yeah. at the back of the uh, the uh, uh, wing so I like I always knew that and then uh, uh, there's other things that are different shapes there too, but uh, I didn't know that until uh, until the safety doc told me about that uh, it came from the B-17, and now I got another story to make me look good. 
It Thanks. did. It did. Yeah. And, that, <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll share that link out in the, um, in the blog post tomorrow. And, and that was a story that I found a couple of years ago. And I use it when I teach school safety and say, you know, from, so if you have 10 buildings in a district, right. But one might be a 4k community site that's in the you know basement of a church. And then you have element, elementary schools, couple in a middle school, high school, that what you have for safety should be pretty universal across these, these settings. And it's also the reason why we have, um, when you have a, a door, um, a door needs to open and, you know, with a single motion, either turn, turn the handle or in a public building, or you have to pull a lever down. And actually there were bills that were coming out in states in the last couple of years of saying, we want to change that. We want to have where if a, a door, if it's locked because of intruders and thing, you know, basically intruders, right? Um, so you'll have a lock, but then you'll have another lock and maybe there'll be like a keypad. So you have to type in three, seven, four, wait 10 seconds mm. and then press the red button and then pull the handle down. And that, I was like, that's dangerous. Yeah, make sure you, make sure you tell that to the substitute <laughs> teacher showing up. Well, no <laughs> kidding. And some states have passed this. So mm. I talked about that, you know, with, with my students and said, actually our state was, was one where that was being proposed. It was being proposed by vendors to sell to sell things. And I said, you know, no, it has to be universal design, right? That people are familiar. You're not like, how do I get in and out of here? So it's that um, universal design. And it's interesting with the B-17. Mm -hmm. um, so I have a couple of questions and then we are, I'm going to have you tell me a story about um, an emergency that was declared and we call it the, the beans and chili emergency. It's an authentic story. And I actually have some audio as able to dig up on that. I couldn't believe you found that. I, it's, it's I'm hard. looking you forward know, to it. A lot of it has been scrubbed from the internet. I got Ooh. this off of a, yeah, a server outside of Spokane, Washington, operated by Nick Shulander. Um, Here we have a question, though, from Spambot Fodder. Noise-canceling headphones don't cut it for buzz airplanes. Um, anything I, like I have heard that. So uh, so if you got your active uh, active noise reduction A&R uh, uh, headphones, uh, yeah, I have heard in the uh, older... So, you know, older, louder, uh, open cockpit airplanes, uh, even like, uh, so, you know, uh, trying to think of some like a tiger moth maybe, or a steerman or kind of, uh, or even your, uh, ultralights and stuff like that. Yeah. The, uh, ideally what you want to have for, uh, for, uh, kind of those noisier, I don't know, buzz airplanes, I guess. Let's just put it this way is that for some aircraft, uh, noise canceling headsets are absolutely fantastic. Okay. And uh, other ones, uh, the wind noise over the microphone doesn't quite work for you. Like, so if you had like a, I don't know, like a Piper Cub with the window or the door off or something like that, yeah, that'll get kind of annoying. So uh, it, the the right tool for the job is what you need. Um, we have a question here from Solitude Surfer. Uh, so what, what kind of fuel economy does a plane get? How do you measure fuel economy in a plane? Gas mileage, I guess. Yeah, usually uh, your your fuel consumption is done in gallons per hour okay. rather than miles per hour or uh, miles per gallon. Uh, so for small airplanes, uh, it, for small airplanes, it's almost always cheaper to drive your car than fly a small airplane. Okay. <laughs> it's actually, uh, yeah, the... Uh, yeah, so in, in the airplanes, uh, okay, we'll say that uh, it, it's kind of like uh, apples and oranges almost, uh, but no matter what, the airplane apple costs more than the car orange. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Put it> that <laughs> way. <laughs> That's short and sweet. Yeah. 
So I, I have, you know, procured this this uh, audio clip, but maybe you can lead us into Ooh. the situation that happened uh, where someone had to, a pilot, I guess, had to declare an emergency. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay. Now this is a this is a story I heard, a story of a story that was told of a story of a story story kind of thing. But uh, what what it was is that the uh, when I was graduating graduating from college, there was a uh, one professor there that would always tell this one story every year at graduation. And he told it the, the year that I graduated too. And uh, so it's just strange enough that I have to believe that it's real. <laughs> Usually that's the way it is. They're like, that's too stupid. You can't think of that, right? So what happened was, and this was a story that was told by one of the founders of the program. He was an ex-military uh, Canadian, a Royal Canadian Air Force uh, pilot. So he and his co-pilot were flying a uh, I think it was a C-119 boxcar, I believe. It was an old transport plane, kind of the precursor to the Hercules back in the 50s. And the back of it kind of opened up like a clamshell type thing. They, they called it a boxcar because it was kind of square. Anyways, uh, so it, they had uh, two great big, huge radial piston engines on that. And so one day the uh, the the pilot flying was uh, the, the guy that was started up the program for the college and uh, the co-pilot farted. And of course he detected a change, <laughs> detected a change. <laughs> so using the design model before it was even invented. He decided to ventilate the cockpit for the strange smell. So he opened up, they had sliding windows there. So he opened up the cockpit and his hat flew out the window right into the intake of the engine and uh they had an engine failure because this guy farted so uh as it was they uh they managed to get the plane uh down on the ground but uh i, I don't know whatever happened to the guy's hat but but the story wow. lives on anyways so well, i i do have it's a minute 35 i'm going to play it here i'm going to try to get mm -hmm. both of us on the side so we can you know kind of talk through how, if the design model was applied <laughs> or how that happened and then also just to, to kind of preface this, the, the guys were okay. Plane was destroyed. It was just yeah. two of them. They were okay. Though. <laughs> Even though kind of at the end of this, it sounds like it's not going to have a positive outcome. Everybody was okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to bring this it, up. So it, yeah. 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 Right. So, <laughs> okay. So, so yeah, this, this is, uh, yeah, this apparently is uh, from Eric. I don't know. It's on some server again. Spoken. Well, well, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, uh, it's right? It's got to be uh, true. Cool. So everybody, yes, uh, tune in carefully. So this is live from, I guess, a cockpit recording. Then we have some, uh, what is it, from ground control, giving giving some direction back. Mm. And uh, it seems to me, though, at, at the end of this, the decisions are made pretty fast. But anyway, I'm going to play the <laughs> play the clip here. How so. were the beans? and chili that you had for breakfast they were delicious thank you for asking but now i am very gassy i'm sorry to hear that out pew that stinks very bad i have to open the window oh no my cap flew off and it was sucked into the engine holy smokes the engine just cut out we should use the decide model to help us make the right decision mayday mayday 
I am declaring a beans and chili emergency. Please advise for landing. Disturbing to listen to. I just have to put that out there. Yeah. Maybe should have done a little more of a precursor alert for people. But uh, <laughs> so what what do you make there? Of, well, um, it, it sounded to me like those voices were a lot like, <laughs> like the guys in my little videos I made ten years ago. <laughs> Could be the same crew. Maybe they. Yeah, maybe. Licenses. Yeah, but uh, yeah. In reality, things turned out pretty well. Uh, I think the, the the audio might have been a little distorted at the end. That's what <laughs> that's what it sounded like a crash, but it didn't actually crash. So yeah, just oh, bad audio from the uh, radios, I guess. Oh my goodness! Yes. Uh, so <laughs> so the audio in there, like from the tower, is that kind of so? That's what it sounds like when the tower is communicating with you. That's, uh... <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> close, but no real cigar. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but it's pretty uh, close, though. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, I think also you were saying um, in in one of your shows that the tower. Um, well, I'm saying tower, right? And where I live, right? It's not a tower. It's an it's a 1930 uh, <laughs> a Quonset hut, basically. That okay. you know, someone someone is there and they flip the lights on if it's at night, which is cool. But I mean, I'm, I'm tower, like yeah. So that would probably be an uncontrolled airport uh, where there okay. is no control tower. So sometimes yeah, those so exist. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it's uh, so. Um, you know, having having that communication, right? Coming coming back with with the tower, um, yeah. T you were saying that it's oftentimes more informal communicating with the tower, or the tower might you know they might be distracted if you're like, hey, like I've, I've, I'm going to come in and do you know um, I'm going to land the plane, and there might be two other pilots talking about, hey, like you know, we're, there's a new restaurant that opened in in town, <laughs> or like over here, <laughs> or you know, this is a beautiful sunset or whatever. So. So that the the radio chatter is is maybe a little more informal than what people think it is. Um, mm -hmm. So tell us about that and how yeah, you maybe stand out. Well, uh, I would say like it, it really depends uh, on how much traffic uh, is up in the air, and uh, the uh, you know every control tower kind of uh, has its own. Uh, it's got standard rules and phraseologies that you use, but. Uh, some of them are, uh, they kind of have a little bit different culture to them. Like some are a little bit more fun. Some are really by the book. Right. <laughs> and then sometimes, uh, but I mean, all the same things are said, but it's just, you could get a little, a little joke in here or there. Uh, I would say just about all air traffic controllers have a sense of humor. Uh, there's just a few I've met that kind of, eh, that aren't like that, but I'd say, you know, they're probably like everybody else, you know, you got a sense of humor, uh, and some people are just grumpy. So the, uh, air traffic controllers, uh, if they're really, really busy, their sense of humor goes to zero. Okay. <laughs> so it's like, you like I've had it where, uh, uh, like just at my home airport here, um, uh, I don't know. There was this one time 
he normally like we could joke around hey uh oh you're going out there today yeah oh how's the weather oh it looks like it's good oh have a good flight blah 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 something like that right right then one time i was coming back here with a student we were really busy now usually at my airport we're kind of lazy about this uh, there's a thing that you call adis uh, automated terminal information system Okay. It's, uh, it's like a little recording that goes off all the time and tells you what the weather is, altimeter settings, some other things. Right. Uh, and you have to tell them, yeah, I got that information. But our airport's pretty quiet, so we, we get lazy about that. <laughs> and uh, whereas other places, they'll say, listen to that first thing, get back to me. So it, that's a little different. So I was... Uh, uh, he was really busy that day, and uh, I was just kind of not really thinking about how busy he was. And I said, uh, and the thing there, too, is that if you don't have this, he's required to read all this information to you. And really, right. all I wanted to get was the altimeter setting so I could find out, <laughs> so I could find out, uh, you know, how to set that. I know what altitude I'm landing at. So he went out and did this big whole spiel, and I didn't catch the one thing that I wanted. So I said, say again which is what you say uh, if you want them to repeat it you don't say repeat uh, that me in the military if you say repeat that means to uh to shell the same location so you don't say repeat if you're up in the air you say say again and uh so i said say again and he just said stay out of my control zone <laughs> okay well wow. <laughs> he, he was having a bad day there and i'm like well we're coming right up on the edge of it so uh told the student it's like well turn it around we'll catch him when he slows down then he landed a few planes and his blood pressure went back to normal and then i tried him again and we did get the proper information this time and he just came in like nothing happened but uh that was uh yeah that it's uh <laughs> when it comes to them uh i they can't like if they're really busy and their their stress levels going up yeah i don't bother joking around with them at all but we'll just say get out of here and uh crazy yeah and then if you really wanted to be a jerk you could say i'm low on fuel let me in <laughs> declare an emergency but i don't do that uh, that's a that uh that's something that uh after a few beers you start talking to your pilot buddies going if he does that i'll do that next time no. and then you never do <laughs> everybody 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 uh in the aviation community you know 99.9 .9 of us uh we're all working as a team, just you know. Yeah. Uh, the the pilots don't want to wreck any airplanes, and the, uh, the air traffic controllers don't want to do any paperwork. Just like the chief flight instructors don't want to do the paperwork either. The best way to do that is just keep everything safe. So. Wow. Um, yeah, I. <laughs> I, I, I can. I, I'm trying to put myself into you know, kind of a you know, someone on the ground who's a little bit overwhelmed and stuff and stuff like that. And you're like, you know, telling mm. a joke like, "Hey, you know, ground control. What do you do with a rhinoceros with uh, three balls?" And then like, your ground control's like, oh, "I don't have time for this." But what? You walk them and pitch to the right uh, to the elephant, and they're like, "Okay, that's good." But land the plane. Mm. Like, I got a lot of stuff going on here. Um, so you're talking about you know, we we're talking about fuel in planes. Um, and you know this is something where what is the what is one of the obvious dangers to flying and when we're talking you're saying it's fuel um mm -hmm. so or, tell the, me, or the or the lack thereof or the lack thereof <laughs> so, so tell me yeah. about that because there's two there, there were two ways that you know you can look at that that we talked about so yeah tell me about that uh okay well you want to talk about fuel and the lack thereof yes. uh okay so 
when it comes to flight safety for uh, little airplanes, uh, the little trainers and the general aviation aircraft that, uh, that I fly. Uh, so back when I was in college, we were doing a, uh, a study on uh, aircraft accidents and we found out uh, that um, approximately 30% of the accidents were caused by uh, fuel starvation. Uh, 30% were caused by uh, bad weather and uh, the other 40% was various other causes. So if you're talking about uh, having enough gas in the plane, uh, there's, yeah, there's a 30% chance of, of crashing. Uh, it, well, I mean, if you got no gas, there's a 100% chance of crashing. <laughs> but uh, right. if you're up in the air. But uh, yeah, so if you can make sure you have enough gas, okay, that just cuts your, 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 uh, your chances, your odds of, uh, of accident, like down by 30%. But, you know, I was thinking about this, too, and I was uh, I'm going to have to come clean with you. I'm going to tell you how I almost ran out of gas. OK, <laughs> OK, we didn't. But uh, yeah, so I was I was flying with uh, a student and uh, uh, same age as us. <laughs> and uh, he was a he was a pretty accomplished uh, uh, pilot. He he'd gotten his uh, private uh, license, his commercial license. But he had a job as uh, kind of a high level manager at a multinational uh, corporation. So he's a really accomplished, you know, really motivated, smart, like Superman kind of guy, <laughs> you know, and he owned his own airplane and he's been flown all over the place. So here I am trying to teach him how to teach people. And he did a great job. He's a part-time instructor now, actually. Uh, but I, he was so good. I didn't, I, I hardly had to teach him anything. You just show him once and he could do it perfectly. So it's like, ah, oh, this is easy. Let's go for lunch. <laughs> you know, okay. so we just go boot off and go around and go get burgers and stuff like wow. that. It was awesome. So one time we were coming back, uh, we checked the, the fuel of the plane, beautiful day. And uh, we just thought, okay, well, we'll fly up here, go for lunch. And then uh, we'll come back and we'll, We'll, we'll consider that navigation instruction. Okay, sounds good. So we go out there. How much gas is in the plane? Eh, we could probably put a little more in. Ah, no, nah, that's good enough. It's only an hour and a bit up there, hour and a bit back there. Okay, we got three and a half hours of gas probably. Eh, yeah, we should be good. So uh, we went up there. Uh, and before we left uh, to come back to our home airport, uh, we uh, dip the. There's a little stick that you usually have, and you put it in the in the gas tank just to make sure that uh, you have you know exactly how much fuel you have. This little stick with markings on uh, how many gallons are in the tank. So we did that. Oh, we got lots of gas. Okay, and uh, came back, and then we were, but we noticed that uh, we were is going parallel to a highway, and we noticed that uh, boy, we're uh, we're not going much faster than the trucks down there. <laughs> so it's like we must have a really big headwind. They didn't forecast it. It was a beautiful day. It was just really windy. So I was like, uh, we're getting kind of, okay. I, I was thinking to myself, mm, it's, it's, this could be weird, you know, because I'm looking at the gas gauges for each tank. There's two uh, wing tanks. And it seemed a little bit lower. And we passed this one airport. I know they had gas there. And it's like, well, we'll just kind of keep going here. And then we start both of, both of us were kind of talking to each other, like, wait a minute, this, if we have that much fuel and that's why we measure things. Uh, that's why uh, when the, the caller or the caller, <laughs> the, uh, the question before was about miles per gallon. We do it in gallons per hour because, okay, right. how many gallons do we have? So now 
how many hours can we go flying for here? Well, we only had maybe about, I don't know, a half hour worth of gas we could kind of figure out. And it's like, wait a minute, this that doesn't work out with this strong headwind <laughs> and everything. Right. But the weirdest thing about this, and this is like uh, where, I mean, we could see the airport. It was right there. There's the airport and our fuel gauge is down here. And it's like, well, it, it, it really messed with our minds that it was like, okay, there's the airport and we don't have enough gas to it, but to get to it, but there it is. It, it's so strange. But we just knew, and I was like, we got to turn back to that other airport and get gas. If we turned back, we'd have a tailwind. We'd get there in two seconds. Uh, so I was really humming and hawing. I was like, oh, geez, we're not going to make it, but there's the airport. And my brain was playing tricks with me. Now the other guy, he said, that's it. I'm turning around. We're going to the other airport. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> so uh, he kind of, I, I probably would have come to that decision a little bit later, but he, and that really made me, uh, that really shot my ego down because I was the expert instructor and this guy, he made the proper call. And if I kept going with my thinking, I would have crashed the plane, you know, yes. and it's like, and it's like, how did he do that? But, you know, the thing is, and okay, this is how I make myself feel better. Okay. You always learn something new from everyone you fly with. Even if you're a 30,000 hour pilot, you, you could fly with a 500 hour pilot. He'll tell you something about landing a tail dragger that you never know. So I figured, okay, I shouldn't feel so bad about this. The guy, uh, he has, <laughs> he has all kinds of experience uh, doing cross country trips uh, going from he used to work and uh, he used to fly all over the United States and, and he's gone out to Canada. He's fl flown down to Florida a number of times uh, from Canada. So he's got all this, all, all of this, uh, uh, I guess you would say he had this big knowledge bank of, okay, we have to go here. We have to turn back here. He's been caught himself a few times. Uh, and so for him to come to that, conclusion he'd probably already seen where i'm not going to make it to the airport but there it is he's already seen that before and made the decision so it was a piece of cake for him to do that and now that i've seen it it's a piece of cake for me to do it and i can totally see why people would be sucked into you know having an accident and you you look at all these uh all these airplanes that uh that that uh they run out of fuel right uh, they're never more than like 10 miles from the airport and you can see 10 miles like up in the air. It's like nothing. You can see 20 miles. Up yeah. the airport. But I mean, I, I'll bet you uh, it'd be interesting to see uh, uh, on a graph of how far they actually right. land. Right. I would bet that 90% of them make it to within 10 miles of the airport. So, and, and when you're flying, 10, 10, 10 miles at uh, 120 miles per hour, that's only five minutes away. Right. So, which is also kind of like my speed when I'm driving. And, oh, well, you know, boy, well, roughly, should... right? But, but no, so, <laughs> yeah. so, um, so this is number one, right? Is is running out of gas? Which people would think like you don't run out of gas. Like you would have abundance. Like you would you would have additional gas, and you would land hmm. it with extra. I mean, I think I guess well, as a layman, you're like God. Okay. Nobody would think uh, that in the airplane industry. Uh, Dave. The, uh, the explanation to that one is is that uh, you can't just take. Uh, unlimited amounts of fuel on board your plane because the the plane has a certain weight limit that right. if it goes over that it, it's not uh it's not safe to fly so a they, lot they of people have a maximum weight but say you have a lot of a lot of uh, luggage or some extra people right. you might not be able to put it up with full fuel so it's uh you always got to 
weight and balance is what they call it. So it has to be a certain maximum weight uh, for the whole thing. And it has to be the center of gravity has to be within a certain envelope, as they call it. Jeez, this sounds complicated, man. Yeah. Another part of this, and a lot of people don't know this, but airplane fuel is actually 74 pounds a gallon. So it's kind of like mercury. <laughs> That's not true, by the way. But uh, I don't but, know who you've been flying with. So, you know, the density, right? <laughs> water is eight pounds. So, I mean, you can you really run like two gallons of gas. And after that, it gets pretty, yeah, thin things out. We have, we have a celebrity in the chat, by the way. I just want to call out our friend Sass Too Many um, of Connecticut, now of Florida. But uh, he Ooh. did the cannonball run here in the United States successfully a few times, which was from <laughs> New York to California in roughly, I don't know, 24, 27 hours. Uh, so what, 140 miles an hour. He has done that. Hall Ooh. of Fame legend here, Sass One Too Many, just giving a wow. shout out, a cannonball run. I don't think he's done anything in an airplane, but as yeah, far as like well, going as fast By the sounds of things, I'll hit you right with him next time. It's probably faster than my little planes. <laughs> that guy is crazy fast. He's a great guy, good friend of the show. We also talked about, so so running out of gas, the other one is, is weather, right? The weather changes and it can be disorienting. Mm -hmm. yep. And, and I, you brought up a, a, a great point in the show, right? Of like you you taxi to the, uh, I, I, you know, I guess I'm probably not using the correct terminology, but, but you're ready, well, you're ready uh, to take off, right? That's okay. And, we'll, we'll pretend we're in Hollywood and we'll get it all right. wrong. <laughs> a lot of people, yeah, I was a stand-in for Tom Cruise and, you know, in, uh, yeah, no, no, for, uh, well, in, in Hot Shots. Um, for oh, not Amelia West, Charlie well. Sheen was there? Charlie Sheen, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, but, um, but you're, you know, so, so maybe, yeah, you're, you know, your family, somebody's with you, or you know, they're going to watch you or something, and you and you look down, and it's like, whoa, like it's a that's a big black storm cloud, right? Like, I don't know if I want to be flying today, and it's like, no shame, just be like, I'm not, it's not going to happen today, right? But, but people can be into weather or weather can change and, and it can be disoriented. So number one is running out of fuel. And number two is, is um, adverse weather conditions. Yeah. And I want to bring in number three though. Number three was where you, you were telling me, you know, you can also, and this is kind of the subtle thing, you can just buy inexpensive fuel, which is an ethanol gas blend. You don't use your plane for a little while. The ethanol absorbs moisture and pretty soon you're flying and the moisture comes up the carb and then it's like, whoa, you're going through your decide checklist, right? So, mm -hmm. so tell me, tell me about that. And, and, um, you know, is, is it also like you recommend, do they tell you, you know, to always run like a premium fuel or do you have a stabilizer or you, how do you mm -hmm. check your gas to make sure that the gas is, is, uh, is good? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, we were, uh, this is uh, before we did our show here. We were kind of chit chatting about uh, different types of gas, and uh, so some airplanes out there they can um, uh, they can run car gas or mo gas as they like to call it in the uh, industry. So uh, they can run that. Generally, uh, all the little airplanes out there they run. Uh, it's a hundred octane and it still has uh lead in it, tetraethyl lead. So, uh, and that boosts the octane up to a hundred. And so they call it hundred low lead. Uh, there used to be higher lead concentrations back in the day, but they stopped making them. So there's your hundred low lead. That's a uh, very, very, uh, safe, stable, totally, uh, engineered for that specific engine. And it's been that way since the 1940s. Okay, but now, uh, depending on the airplane that you have and the engine, it, you can get pretty technical on this, but some people can put car gas into their uh, 
into their planes. Now, if you uh, if you have your car, uh, there's a little bit of uh, if there's a little ethanol in there, it can it can absorb a little moisture. But you're running your car; it's not sitting there for months and months. It, if it's the winter time uh, up north, uh, northern United States or anywhere in Canada, pretty much, your your plane could be sitting there for a number of months with old gas just sitting in the tank. And the weather gets good, and you want to go up and go flying, but now you have contaminated gas. Um, you might uh, you might drain a little bit out of the bottom. There's a, I don't know, there's like a little cup like that. Well, actually, that's a big cup because I need to drink water. <laughs> well, you have a little cup and uh, you'll kind of drain. There'll be a little thing and you kind of you drain a little bit of uh, fuel into a cup. You can take a look. If it's clear on the bottom, there's some water. Keep draining it till that's all gone. But even still within the fuel itself, there could be 10% of a kind of suspended uh, suspended moisture in the ethanol. Then you go to take off. You're trying to, uh, you know, your carburetor might be gummed up and you have an engine failure on takeoff. That's happened. Uh, it happened at my airport. Uh, well, within the area where I live, it happened a couple times because things were shut down so much uh, for the uh, what's been happening over the last couple of years. Uh, things are on the ground for quite a bit. Right. Right. And uh, so. Uh, yeah, so uh, they took off, uh, they, they checked it out on the ground, everything was fine, and then it took a little while for all that bad gas to get through there. They took off in the air, they got the bad gas and and had engine failures. They both did okay, though. Uh, one guy's plane, uh, it wasn't far from the airport, they just kind of towed it back. <laughs> and then uh, the other guy, unfortunately, he did a great job uh, uh, avoiding some uh, telephone wires and stuff like that but it Holy was, smokes but it was in a farmer's field that was uh, kind of freshly uh, uh freshly tilled so he kind of busted okay. up wing and the landing gear a little bit but he walked away fine and um so using car gas in a in an airplane yeah you got to really watch it and another thing too uh that usually what they have for any of the fuel tanks that have uh that sell specific aviation fuel uh it'll be a cleaner fuel tool uh because uh the the fuel pickup like so you say uh you fill up your airplane just like you do your car you know you got take it off you squeeze the hose and it goes into the tank right well the underground tank or sometimes it's an above ground tank uh the underground tank has to get the fuel from there and get it out the hose well if you're at the gas station filling up your car it takes it from the bottom of the tank whereas if you're doing a um uh, filling up your airplane, uh, there's actually a floating pickup on that. So as the level in the big tank in the ground goes down, the float will kind of go down, but you can still pick up uh, fuel. So that keeps it so any of the contaminants or water will be at the bottom of the tank. So uh, you're using the correct gas. Uh, uh, there's a whole lot of safeguards in there with aviation fuel that uh, mo gas or car gas doesn't have. So there you go. <laughs> Hopefully that answers your question. So it does. And and uh, we have the tricam uh, effect going on right here. So I know, man. It's blowing my mind. Stuff is crazy, <laughs> man. The pilot camp. You know, and the pilot's really steady up there. It's like the Goodyear blimp during an ABC Monday night football game in the 80s. I'm like, I'm just amazed. Nice. 
Um, yeah, it's it's pretty cool here. I don't know, it's a Cessna or a, a, a whatever. It's like a 1940s. It's pretty cool. The fact it's flying in my basement. It's the it's with, the uh, you know the poltergeist high pilot camp going on here. So, yeah, people people I don't know, Grams. Don't let it worry you, but people will email me after the show, like after they they've watched it, and they'll say, "Hey, like look in the back, like you know with the." You know, whatever moved, or you know, the picture turned upside down, or stuff like that. But you're like, oh, I, yeah, I guess it did. You know, so you kind of get used to it. I don't know. It's, it doesn't. Well, I, you know what? I'm really looking forward to getting that, and I'm looking forward to getting a bunch of trolls and spam and all that stuff. So no one really watches my channel too much now, so I can't wait till I. Uh, I had one of those uh, sex websites things the other day, and it kind of disappeared. I didn't even have to wipe it out. So <laughs> I don't know. In the chat. Oh, I think we got our pilot cam is muted. <laughs> All right. How are we doing here? And we're muted over here, too, I think. <laughs> and it's a ghost. I, I, I thought I'd be like, That's what you did. I'd be like, uh, what do I click? Uh, something on here. Graham's I hate I hate this laptop. This thing, I'm all muted. He's, he's telling it. No, it's it's on my side. He's telling everybody you let it gas, let it paint. I knew the ghosts were kind of like that wasn't sitting well with them, and they're kind of like they're usually showing who's in control. We got everything back here. We got everything. All right, it was cool. I was quickly going through here. What are we What are we going to do? I was making a few calls to uh, to ground control here, and like just st <laughs> stick with it, you know, and do this. And are you muted? I'm like, yeah, and I'm un unmuted, but uh, but. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, so, so these types of things and, and do you, is there any perception that fuel quality is, is hard to maintain now? Um, is, I guess, is there a deterioration in fuel quality or has it been pretty stable over like the last five, 10 years or? Uh, I would say that the, uh, hmm, uh, usually pilots are pretty good about if they are using uh, aviation fuel, they'll use, uh, there, there's certain gas stations that don't have ethanol. Uh, in their gas and they're usually pretty good about uh, using that uh, you know generally uh, and, and then for aviation fuel it goes through all these other uh, uh, all these other processes and you know distillation process I know I'm not a petrochemical engineer but the uh, the the quality of aviation fuel is you know it's a little bit better than your car gas we'll put it that way all right, so I'm just going through Graham's uh, bio here. He's a he is a fuel chemist. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. with a little uh, bit of salt. yeah, yeah. Just so, go throw throw that on LinkedIn. I'll get a job for a couple hundred grand a year. <laughs> and also, you can just bootleg a lot of your own fuel for a plane. I mean, it's it's. But no, so so that's that's an interest. I, I hear it around you know just with automotive right and and small engine stuff that the qual the quality of gas, meaning ethanol content in gas, and mm -hmm. is is going up, which which has an impact. Um, yeah. So so tell us about um, you know, uh, well, I mean. First of all, you're talking about you know the, this 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 discrepancy, right? When you're you're coming up upon the runway and the gas and all that. So, um, we, we were talking about this before the show, and I know it's something, um, you know, that I've read some articles about, and and um, people using um, lasers, right, to disorient pilots. I live close to a helo pad, yeah. and I live close to an airport. Um, well, you but, get to see all the cool traffic. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't get to see. Well, I don't get to see people doing that, right? Because I, that's yeah. extremely dangerous. But we know that 
Um, that type of stuff is pretty, it's, it's easy to access, right? Anyone needs it for, you know, you can buy one at Staples for $15. You can use it for presentations. But if you're using this, especially at night, right, and aiming it up toward a plane, tell us about, um, you know, okay. kind of what happens if you're in a plane and then like how disorienting that is and just how gravely dangerous Okay. You know, this type of stuff is from maybe yeah, someone that it's, has a ten or ten dollar piece of thing. Then, oh, I'm going to goof around with this, you know, yeah, small so, pilot who's been flying around. Well, I mean, it's uh, it, I I guess you would kind of look at that airplane flying around as like, hey, how far can I shoot this laser, right? Right. And, and if you're a little, uh, <laughs> if you're a dumb kid like we all were, and uh, doing dumb kid stuff, it, it's like, hey, let's try to shoot to shoot the shoot the plane with the laser and. Now, the, the little tiny lasers you buy at the store are, I mean, they are disorienting. Uh, the, they're really bad because you can get some really high-powered ones from China, and they're, like, really, really bad. So, uh, but even still, uh, I'll just tell you a story I told you before about the uh, uh, where I used to work. There was uh, one, of, uh, one of my instructors was out flying with a student, and uh, there was a some kids in a little town were playing out in the park and they, they shot the laser up at the plane. So I wanted to make sure like, I'd never actually, ha it, it had never actually happened to me, but I kind of asked the, uh, the student and the instructor, like, what's it actually like? And uh, they said it was really disorienting because it's at nighttime. And so your pupils are wide open to get, get all that light in there. And then you get uh, like a red light or a green light flashing all over the cockpit and it's getting in your eye. And now it's, it's like seeing like a flash bulb and then all of a sudden things are kind of starry. Well, if you get that on a final approach and you're in a jet with a couple of hundred people on it, you don't want to be disoriented because of flash bulbs, you know? So that gets pretty dangerous at that point. But uh, actually what happened with the, uh, uh, with that, it just so happened that the, uh, the, uh, We'll just say that the, the student had been involved with uh, law enforcement in the past. And uh, so after the lasering happened, uh, he got on his cell phone and called up the local police and said, hey, the kids in the park just shot us with the laser. You know, that's illegal, you know. And right. they say, oh, yeah. And all the, all the police forces know that's illegal because uh, it's so dangerous and disorienting. So they circled around and they could just make out where the kid was going down the third <laughs> going down the street and then okay they're they're by the yellow car over there and they were talking to the police and it's like no oh, <laughs> next house over and then anyways they uh the eyes in the sky uh, got the kids that were doing that and uh i think the kids are probably grounded for the rest of the summer Holy <laughs> but, smokes. Uh, smokes. but i mean the, there are some like you can get fines of jail time for that uh, all over the world as far as i know yeah, I I know there's also um, very strict no flying zones for drones close to airports. Yep. Um, and that was something when a, a, a neighbor of mine, a couple of houses down, is a professional a commercial drone um, operator, and he has a business mm -hmm. where he yeah, sells and repairs drones stuff like that. And that's, he said that's more and more. Yeah, something of this perimeter, and sometimes people aren't aware of it, right? They get the drone, and and you know they get a little too close to the airport, and and suddenly yeah, it's kind of like you know stationary turkey up in the air, right? That you can that you can hit. So yeah, uh, it's I mean, just crazy, crazy stuff. So um, 
tell us about kind of one of the maybe bizarre, freaky things you've had happen as a as a pilot, like a UFO encounter, like the TV show <laughs> Manifest. I know you've probably been through that, right? And you came back and you landed, and your phone didn't work, and then you know, and they're you know they pull you aside, and and, and you're like, what's the problem? And they're like, the problem is you, Graham, you've been missing for five years. Yo. It's the year 2027. Oh, wow. Holy smokes, man. I, I was wondering why my hair wasn't getting that great. So anyways, but... but uh, is there anything like... Yeah, this is just a really unusual or memorable or strange experience you've had. You know, uh, uh, I guess I'm kind of lucky that my flying uh, career has been really boring. <laughs> so, uh, okay, let's see if I can get you a really cool story. Uh, all right. Well, it sort of involves me. Uh, but it's another example of good decision-making. Okay. It was one of my students and he was, he was on a, uh, and I was a, I was a brand new instructor at the time. And, uh, so one of my students was on a cross country trip that you're, you know, has to go a certain amount of, uh, miles away from the airport, uh, as part of your training. So, he went and uh, we were really uh, we were really busy at the time with uh, a lot of students. And so I was kind of looking at my watch and it's like, hey, OK, he left here on time. Good. We're going to get him back on time. We'll get the other student in the plane. Away we go. And uh, we got a call uh, that uh, he had taken off from this one airport and then he smelled something burning and came back. Well, so you know, here I'm thinking like man. <laughs> and, and then I talked to him on the phone and he said, well, I don't know. It, it kind of smelled some burning. And then I came back, but I don't, I don't really smell it now. And then, so I was thinking now the inexperienced instructor in me said, uh, okay, oh, come on. It's nothing. It's like, cause I didn't know a brand new instructor. You don't know anything, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a lot better now. <laughs> Anyways, the, uh, so uh, there was a, a very well-seasoned instructor hanging around at the time. And uh, I was kind of stressing out. Oh, man, my students are going to be late coming back. I don't know what to do. And then uh, the seasoned instructor said, uh, well, what happened? And I said, oh, he just he smelled something and he turned around and landed. And right away, the old seasoned instructor, good, he made the right decision. So that was an example like for me that about... Uh, uh, you know, turning around, like no matter what, getting getting safe on the ground is always the right decision, no matter what. And so it's like, oh, okay. And uh, it was like that kind of that was something I learned from right. the student uh, smelling something. Now, what was that smell? Uh, usually, we're like I've never actually encountered a uh, an electrical fire in an airplane, but supposedly uh, the insulation burns or the, you know, the plastic in the radio is burning a knob maybe or something. Okay. And, and so usually if you smell burning plastic, that means it's an electrical fire. And that's what we train. I've never actually smelled it like that. Smelled it uh, at home with my computer. <laughs> Not this one, but yeah, things are getting a little hot and yeah, okay. That could be an electrical fire maybe, but uh, yeah. So what happened was, uh, one of the mechanics drove up to see the airport and then they were taxiing around on the, on the ramp to trying to figure out what is that smell? They were checking the electrical system. Everything seemed to be okay. And the mechanic got up there and he said, wait a minute, that doesn't smell like burnt plastic. It smells like chicken. It does smell and, like and, chicken. And, 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 <laughs> yeah. See, so everything smells and tastes like chicken, right? 
So he, uh, so there's like, what is that? So what happened was uh, the student had landed. And then what you do is you go inside the little building and you bring your logbook with you and they stamp it and say, okay, they arrived safely here. And you go fly off to another airport, get a stamp there and come back. So you prove that you've actually been there. And so he got his stamp, came back in, started up the airplane. So in the meantime, unfortunately, a little bird decided to go to try to go make a nest in the engine. In just that, like, you know, two, three, four, like five minutes, no more than five minutes. And unfortunately, I guess no. he started it up. And there's a, uh, for the heat, uh, for the heat to go into the cabin, uh, there's like a little uh, air intake, probably about, okay. oh, you know, about as big as a, bird could get into a little uh, sparrow and unfortunately the sparrow kind of got cooked for uh not for dinner but they 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 picked the sparrow out of this air intake thing which uh, was to be in being heated by the exhaust so kind of yeah hopefully i'd like to think that the little sparrow got kind of chopped up by the by the propeller really <laughs> wow. quick just went in there which could happen too and uh yeah a little bit of burnt meat there they cleaned it they cleaned it all out and uh there we go. And then he continued on his way. And uh, as far as I know, he's working at the airlines now. Wow. Oh, my God. So, you know, so when you're, you're flying, like how often do you hit a pl uh, bird, right? You know, yeah, bird strikes are uh, bird strikes are pretty common. Okay. Uh, I would say <laughs> I have been the murderer of many oh. a bird, <laughs> but that's OK. They go fast. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of quick and painless. And uh, yeah, depending on how big it is, it's, you know, if you get like a little swallow right. or a sparrow, it's almost like a, you know, you're it's like hitting a dragonfly or something. It's, it's really yeah. not that much mass. Uh, so, you know, I took out a, one of the seagulls at one airport was feeling a little low that day and didn't get it. Uh, the seagull didn't quite like, make its appointment with the psychologist oh. so like, it was kind of suicidal and unfortunately it ran holy into, smokes kind of ran into my wing there but that was a weird one too uh how uh we, there was a bunch of seagulls and they just as we were starting to take off they all decided to fly right in front of us and i was like oh no and, uh, are we gonna hit him are we gonna hit him and we i felt this thunk in my uh at the feet at the rudder pedals right and, and it was like oh no uh, and then it's like, okay, anything damaged? So you're checking all, uh, I don't know where it hit. All, are all the gauges good? Is it, it like, did it get lodged in the air intake? You know, like that guy's hat that can happen with birds right. too. Right. right. Uh, so, okay. Engine's running fine. Good, good, good. Cause I felt it by my feet, which is right behind the engine, which is behind the propeller. And then we went down, uh, came back to our airport and landed, and we were looking all around the front of it to say, where's where's the dent or did it hit the landing gear, which is not too bad if it's a landing gear because that's really strong. And then my student sees this big dent in the wing. He's like, uh, is this supposed to be here? I'm like, good eye. No, it's not supposed to be there. But Holy the funny smokes. thing is that the uh, the bird that was hit on the wing, uh, all the, uh, the force from that, traveled down the spar and I could feel it in my feet. So it's kind of weird. It is just, weird. Yeah. It's just like, uh, well, you, you're basically in like a tin can when you're flying around there. And so if you hear it, click, 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 click in your tin can, <laughs> you know, you're, you can wow. feel it over here. If you squeeze your tin can over here. Right. So same kind of thing. 
So generally when you're out in public and birds are flying around, do they kind of know? Like they're like, that's the guy that took out our uncle right there. <laughs> Yeah, and then surprise, you see more of them in Turkey. Doctor Perodin, yes, uh, <laughs> no, actually. Well, you know, birds are actually really good. Uh, they can they can get out of the way of airplanes way better than we can get out of their way. Uh, the only thing I can teach about that is that if you make yourself as visible as possible, right. you can maybe put on your uh, landing. Like during the daytime, you don't really use your landing light, but if you see some birds, you can turn it on. They'll see the light might help out uh, any type of strobes or navigation lights that helps uh, rock your, you know, rock your wings a little bit. Uh, there's some movement and uh, whether it's the bird or human eye uh, detects movement more than anything else. So uh, you could do that. And uh, generally you'll uh, they're, they're really good at getting out of the way. They just see it and they fold in their wings and they, they just, <laughs> right down it's pretty cool it's neat when you get like a bald eagle do that it looks it looks really badass yeah. holy smokes wow um we have a question here from Corey slater Corey's saying sure. how rare is the pilot's prayer the pilot's prayer do you know what that is it's so rare i, I don't know what it is <laughs> all right Corey, did you just what make that up pilot's prayer? i think it's uh you know, I bet you it's it's one of those things that's uh, it's just it's just kind of out there. Uh, what was it? Lord help me from something stuff. Ah, I, I I wouldn't even want to try to do it. I'm pretty sure I've read it, uh, but it didn't stick in my head. So, uh, anyways, it's uh, it's one of those things that gets kind of gets kind of sent around on Facebook and stuff like that every once in a while. But uh, I, I do uh, have it. It's short, so I will, I'll say it. Um, okay. The pilot's prayer. Uh, thank you that I can take to the sky, see Earth be become small and fall away beneath me. Oh, Lord, help me to fly with skill and diligence to follow procedure and to keep those I carry safe. Alert me to difficulties and dangers so that I have time to respond and pray. Doesn't really rhyme. Like, it doesn't have a good kind of cadence, hmm. but I guess that's the prayer. Hmm. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I think right. I heard I heard a different version of that, but it had Nantucket in it. It did, uh, yeah, apparently you have to know this to get your license too. So, whoa, oh, dear um, Lord, please don't let me no, I don't know. Here I am up in the air, and um, so, so, Graham, what? Um, so people, you know, people are are so. So, if you want to become a pilot, right? How much money do you need to set aside? How much time? You know, so let's just say this is somebody's uh, somebody's goal, right? They. Mm -hmm. Want to get my pilot's license? Um, how would how would they start to both fiscally do that? And and maybe and there's a question too that works into this. Like someone will say, like, "Hey, I just bought like the new flight simulator for Microsoft, right? And I've been flying like 23 hours a day here, you know, on, on Red Bull, and I'm pretty darn good." So anybody, you know, I just, Way to go, man. <laughs> you know, like if I'm flying commercial, I have like an index card passes up to the pilot. Hey, like you know, I've got a thousand hours in on my mm -hmm. flight simulator in my basement. So if you need any help, but um, so so I guess you know, how much do you you know for money for for a time commitment? How long does it take from the day you start to maybe the day you probably would get your flight license and uh so yeah you know because i i have no, i had no idea until i was watching your channel of how you'd go about this and and what the cost of it was and and do you have to okay. buy your own plane do you rent a plane do you steal a plane <laughs> you know? well uh yeah the uh the the funny thing about aviation is that like there's really no simple answer 
how much does it cost to get your license exactly this much it's no <laughs> it doesn't work that way uh there's a i guess it would be kind of like a safe range uh you do uh it would depend on where you live more than anything so what I, what i tell to anybody uh is that if you are interested in learning how to fly uh I'd find out uh just do a google search on uh you know learn to fly and then your town or your city uh google mr google will tell you exactly where to go <laughs> and then uh you go from there and you ask them so like say if you're going to be learning uh i know there's quite a big difference in cost between uh learning at a big airport like say uh so here in uh canada would be like uh toronto island airport so let's say somewhere in the states uh i don't know, like new york city or chicago or something like that where uh it's a very large uh metropolitan area but maybe there's this little airport that's pretty close to it i don't know pick the little airport by the big metropolitan area and maybe there's a flight school there well what you have to do is before you're going to be doing any uh uh flight training you can't be doing that all over the city so you got to fly to somewhere like uh, out in the country or over the water somewhere okay and uh and do all your maneuvers there so that can take a while it's all uh you're getting charged by how long the engine is running so if it takes you a half hour to get out somewhere to do all your practicing, you do a half hour of practice and then come back another half hour. That's a pretty expensive lesson. So generally, uh, you could uh, it, it's cheaper to do it at smaller airports uh, in less, uh, I guess, more rural areas. Uh, that's uh, probably the best way to do it. That keeps your expenses down. And uh you know it's really hard to it's really hard to say exactly i would say if you're like a real superstar you know you could maybe do it for about and i'm not really sure about the prices in the united states too and also another thing there where you are if you're over in europe it's okay. like like twice as much as it is over here uh because of fuel uh tax and stuff like that so uh how much is it i would say roughly you know generally go Go down. Uh, I don't want to give out any wrong numbers here. There's, uh, you're a terrible instructor if you just start making stuff up. Uh, so I'm not going to do that. I'll just kind of say, okay, at your local flying club, right. your local flight training unit, your whatever flight school, call them up. Uh, and uh, ideally, you, and you can see how complicated it is for me to explain this stuff. So it's probably sure. best to call them up on a telephone. You know, kids used to, the, the kids that that's that other part of your phone where you don't touch it you, you <laughs> right. click that and you, and you talk at it right so that that thing uh, if the kids use that you'll find out your information a lot faster than going what letter r <laughs> space letter u <laughs> space doing spelled wrong so like uh yeah call them up on the phone you get all the information you want and uh yeah it's uh it's if you want to do it just to fly around for fun it's i would say you'd have to have like a pretty good job uh a lot of uh people that can afford to learn how to fly and then they just you know fly around for fun a lot of people uh computer jobs engineering um stuff like that nurses teachers uh they gotta have like kind of an okay job okay. Uh, to 
for it because it, it's pretty much uh, it's kind of a rich man's game. <laughs> it's uh, uh, you spend a lot of money on it. This, this and, is and the- if you want to get into it to do it as a job. Well, yeah. you're you're uh, you're spending a whole lot. So <laughs> put it that way. You, it, you're spending about as much as I don't know a quarter or half of a house, depending on where you're living. So, Whoa. Yeah. Okay. So so I just Googled my my town and, and okay. learned to fly. And this is what came up, right? Um, and it's saying that um, how long does it take to fly? So um, it can take, uh, it takes to earn a private pilot's license somewhere between 45 and 55 hours of in-flight training. Is that mm-hmm. accurate? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But it usually takes a lot more. Okay. Just because uh, uh, the, the winter, uh, you do that through the summer and you get ready for your flight test, and then the winter comes and you don't fly for two months because the weather's bad. Ah, right. Different story if you're down in Florida. Florida is fantastic for getting your license. <laughs> They'll rip you through a, you know, from zero to hero in like I don't know eight months. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, and your bank, your bank, your bank account will go to zero too. <laughs> it go to zero. Zero to zero in the same time. Florida is the best place to learn how to fly in the states. Um, and this one is saying how much does flying cost, and they're saying fifty-eight to eighty-eight dollars an hour per Hobbs hour. What is a Hobbs hour? Okay. Uh, anyone that's ever run any type of mechanical equipment, like uh, loaders or uh, backhoes or something like that, that a Hobbs is a brand name for a little meter uh, that it kind of clicks over in increments of 0.1. So uh, every time your engine is running, the little meter starts running and uh, they charge for airplanes. They charge by uh, the every six minutes is 0.1 hours right so if you got uh, a one and a half hour flight would be you know 1.5 on the hobbs meter okay mm-hmm. okay got it um and here's i think just a weird question right i can only fly in summer and during breaks because i'm away at college is that an issue i can only fly on on a weekend <laughs> and get my license is that yeah, a program? If that's the only way you're flying it'll take you three years <laughs> that's so, uh, uh that's <clears throat> well depending on i don't know the it, yeah like it's uh if you can only fly uh once a week then it's like well one of those weeks it's going to be out oh, the weather's bad so now you haven't flown in two weeks and now when you do go flying uh now you forgot everything you did before so it's going to take you the best way to learn how to fly is to get it in a concentrated time as much as possible uh, because, you know, if you're flying once a month, you won't remember anything. It'll take you five years and it'll take you three times as long. So, okay. uh, yeah, cause you just, you have to keep, there's so much to remember and even, you know, muscle memory, whatever, you know, the techniques of how to actually handle the plane, uh, your brain will forget that, or you'll get rusty. You'll regress a little bit before you can go ahead. So, yeah, it's like, uh, I don't know. Try doing calculus uh, and only do calculus once a week. See how well you do. <laughs> yeah, that's why I never took calculus in high school or <clears throat> college. Um, mm. But oh my god! Um, so, so you know, you talked about if you, if you want to become a pilot, like if if you're thinking this could be a career for you. And mm-hmm. my um, neighbor, like ten years ago, Eric. So Eric was, you know, got his his um, 
pilot license and started to fly commercial airlines. And he was in his mid twenties and, you know, uh, newly married. And after maybe three years of that, um, he stopped because he told me I'm just away too much time. And then he left that and went into yeah. finance. Right. So um, yeah, it happens to a lot of people these days. Yeah. Okay. So maybe, you know, if you can let people know, okay, so you're interested, what are some options of, you know, cause I mean, I think people try to think of um, being a pilot as kind of being an over the road trucker. Like I can leave in the morning and be home at night. Well, okay. I don't know if that's true, no. but how does, how does this, you know, okay. well, work? I'll, I'll, I can tell you a little bit generally about uh, the, uh, the life of a pilot. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to just stay being a flight instructor. Usually flight instructor is kind of an entry level job. Surprisingly enough, that's the way it is. Uh, you'd think you'd want the seasoned guys teaching everyone new, but you have the newbies teaching the newbies. Oh, well. And then, uh, so that way uh, I'm home every night. And so if you, uh, if you're all old domesticated like me and like hanging around with the old lady, yeah, there we go. It's good for me. But the, uh, I don't have any kids, but, uh, you know, if you did have kids, I know, uh, yeah, you know, quite a few instructors that they've done it for their whole, uh, you know, their whole career and they got to take the kids to the hockey game. And, uh, some of them, it, it, the instructor or maybe even, uh, yeah, instructor is pretty much the only one that you're going to be home at night, uh, pretty much every night. Uh, the odd time you might have to go off to a concert, uh, conference or do a test or something, but generally you're home every night as an instructor. If you start, especially if you're starting off in any type of uh, airline or commuter airline or something like that, you're gone, you're working like crazy, you're massively jet lagged, you're super tired, you don't make any money. And so if you got a wife at home that's pissed off because she never spent any time with her and the kids miss you, right. it's tough for people with kids. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, you're away for a long time. Daddy, daddy, don't go to work. You know, they hear stuff like that. And it's like, uh, that gets to you. But, um, you know, you, you tough it out and hopefully your spouse is good enough to stick around. And <laughs> it generally, uh, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the family life, if you're like, it's not all, it's not, not all happy ooh, being a pilot. It, uh, the type of person that doesn't have to, has to want, to be a pilot more than anything else, more than family, more like, Oh yeah, you're going to divorce me. See ya. I'm flying, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah. it, like they are so dedicated to that. And uh, you'll find all the guys that are working at the airlines have been there for 10 years. They're like, I'm not dedicated to it like that, but I mean, they've been, they've been like zoned into this for years and years and there's no breaking them out of it. So that's when the uh, pilots get AIDS. Have you heard about AIDS doc? Um, I don't think in the context you're uh, saying. So. Okay. Well, context means a lot here. So okay. AIDS in aviation is a uh, aviation induced divorce syndrome. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's, uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of pilots out there that got the AIDS, uh, unfortunately, but you know, it, they don't care. They'd rather be in a plane. <laughs> so right. it, it's kind of like, you, you gotta be a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say obsessive about it. I I think it's almost like uh, just the, the my psychology background uh, and uh, I don't know. It, it's almost like an addiction uh, that pilots are addicted to it, where uh, it's something that gives them so much joy, and so they're so uh, 
I don't know. You know, they're they're so up for that dopamine right. hit. It's right. like, ah, you know, I I I love feeling happy by flying my plane. That landing was fantastic. I need that. I need that hit of dopamine to feel good. I need that. I need that landing. You know, and it's like they're, they're kind of chasing the high, just like a heroin junkie or something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, and just recently I was kind of thinking about this and where. Uh, you, you know, you're chasing that uh, flying dopamine hit, and you know, just like uh, just like all the junkies and the meth heads out in my alley behind my house, it's like they're like, uh, you you you'll you'll give up, you know, you'll you'll sacrifice uh, all your money at first, <laughs> and then uh, you're going to be uh, having problems with your relationships, right. you know, just like you know, a cocaine addict or something. It's uh. You got to watch that. So all things in moderation, even aviation, I think. How how much is um, a private plane? Like, you know, just just roughly if someone's like, you know, I'm I'm looking at I'm in the market here for a private plane. So what is it? One hundred fifty thousand? Is it two hundred thousand? Well, how much is it for a used car? (laughs) Same type of deal. You can get some really cheap little ones. You, I don't know. You can buy like Donald Trump's old airplane for like what ten million or billion or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I would say. Uh, well, one of the things that I can tell you there is that the prices have been going up in the last little uh, last few years. Okay. Well, what's been happening is that all the uh, all the baby boomers are retiring and they got all their big pensions and everything. And they're going out and I, like I was teaching a lot of them just the last, uh, I don't know, uh, five, five, six, seven years. The baby boomers were all turning kind of 65 ish. And uh, uh, yeah, I was teaching a lot of them and they're all going out buying airplanes with their teacher pensions and all this other, you know, with their uh, pensions that I don't have. <laughs> but they. Uh, wow. And so they've been driving the prices of used uh, used planes up. And because all the boomers are learning how to fly, because and the, the the boomer pilots have all retired, there's a huge demand for flight training airplanes. So all these little planes, there's demand all over the place. Okay. And so probably I'd say for I don't know some average Joe Blow little plane in the United States that you'd buy would probably be I don't know if you want to have like a little four seater Cessna or something like that. You're probably yeah. looking I don't know now it's probably about a hundred thousand. Okay thousand bucks and that whereas uh maybe seven years ago that same plane might have been 50 or sixty thousand. Oh wow so, yeah it's gone up a lot and i imagine there's a, a pretty high and constant maintenance level to having a plane yeah you have to have a uh a manual uh or manual you got to have an annual inspection uh so that's every year and uh that'll cost you a certain amount of money and uh any anything that breaks on an airplane is way more expensive than what you would uh, you would have on a car. Like I remember uh, where I used to work, we had a tail strike. Not really so much a, where the someone landed, and they kind of just dragged the tail a little bit on the runway. So there was a uh, little eye bolt, you know. So it's like a little bolt with a circle yep. on the end. So that's where you put your rope in there to tie it down. Well, that was kind of bent, so uh, they had to kind of grind it to get it out of there. And it was that little eyeball was 350 bucks. Oh my God. Okay. It it was nickel coated and it had a fine thread, but still it's 350 bucks. You could go down to like, uh, you go down to the hardware store and pick up the same thing for three, (laughs) but anything aviation grade, 
uh, you're looking at a whole lot more money. So, you know, you might be able to get a, a plane for relatively cheap to start off, but anything that breaks on it at all is really expensive. Holy smokes. Yeah. Wow. Well, Graham, as, as we're approaching the end, end of the show, I want to... Uh, no, Doc! Don't kick me out, man. I love it here. We're in our basements. We're like, we're like this, man. We're like, we're buds. Come on, man. No, we, actually, we are in yeah. our basements. I, and, I, uh, I have had a good time here. So, no, the, uh, no, I, I, I'm, I'm loving. It. I'm staying true to the the clock hours here on on running the uh, the engine. Excellent. Um, and uh, and and yeah, and and uh, so I. I um, Right, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. This this basement, I, I kind of use the the pilot cam from different different angles, but I upgraded it over the last couple of years and put in a wood floor. It had a uh, carpet down. It was just a horrible horrible place to exist, much less like do a show or anything like that. So now it is like, <laughs> and it was all like sports themed and and things like that. It, oh, yeah. it, it was just. It looked like a very Mine's, like a bad uh, mine, Applebee's. Mine is an unfinished theme, so <laughs> if it floods one day, I don't have to fix so, it. <laughs> Everything's yeah. off the ground. I'll just suck up the water, go um, fire up the laptop, and do another show. <laughs> thankfully, I live on the top of a hill that is all sand, so I've never oh, had nice. the, the flooding issue. Yeah, yeah it, I'm on like, a, I'm on a little bit of a hill too. So okay, that's except nice. in in winter it gets a little dicey. And I also live in the third oldest city in Wisconsin. And um, there was a, a fort here in 1824, Fort Winnebago. And where I live is is the Indian Hill subdivision. And I remember when we moved here, my neighbor who is you know he's in his like like 97 right now, and he said, well. You know, when you're digging in your yard and stuff, you might encounter bones and you know, pottery <laughs> wow. shards because when they built this subdivision in the 70s, it kind of was like a poltergeist thing. They just kind of put it through. And honest to God, Ooh. I find these things all the time, not bones necessarily, but pottery. Wow. And and I'm like, this doesn't seem right. But so far, again, yeah. you know, um, you know, kind of nothing. And I live, Graham, get this. I live um, eight miles away from the biggest man effigy mound in the world. It's eight miles from my house. Oh. And I also live, um, when I bike, about 30 miles from my house. There's there's um, Native American effigy mounds that are 1,000 plus years old all around my area. It's it's the most dense area in the northern hemisphere where I live. Oh. So, um, yeah, I, oh. I bike past, you know, here's a bear mound, here's a snake mound, and, you know, here's a ancient pilot mound I'm like everybody's that, like i recognize that right it's pilot i bet you that's a small town every little small town has their cool little claim to fame so there we go it's it's kind of in this yeah it's kind of in this area and it's just it's really i i don't know it's, it's just it's a strange thing um and then the, also this the man mound in like 1909 they built a road and they cut the feet off uh, and now they've recreated this but i'm like how do you do that like how do you take this ancient mound in the you know 1909 yeah, decide we're just uh, going to put a road through <laughs> yeah oh, different time different respect for indians back then too right? i you yeah know. i'm just kind of baffled because you know you just could have could have done it but now they have like a chalk line across the road and then like the neighbor it's not as it's not the same it's, it's kind of it's really it's fascinating stuff but so so we go back you know people so there are these flight simulator type act games not, i shouldn't say games but um people can access more high definition, more realistic flight simulators, right? Oh, yeah. As they could driving simulators and all this, whatever. But does that help with, with 
flight does it help you understand the terminology and some of these things that get you ahead of the game and also like how realistic how far could somebody take that where they could hop in a plane and maybe have some marginal success okay well uh yeah my uh my theory on flight simulators uh is uh i you know when i first started as a flight instructor i wasn't really sure what to think about it i kind of thought this and that and now i definitely know this and that so uh, I would say we'll, we'll go by uh, age and uh, uh, progression through your career. So if you see you got some some kid that's uh, 10 years old that they're making model airplanes and they just love airplanes, like, oh, dad, airplane, mom, airplane, oh, can we go flying? You know, okay, great. They got the interest. Something like that, you give them Microsoft Flight Simulator, you won't be able to get them off it but they could turn into very good pilots one day. Okay. Uh, so some of the best pilots I've trained did start off as, uh, as that kid on the, on the simulator. So it's an advantage. They learn a lot of terminology. They get right into it. Uh, they get really enthusiastic about it. And then, uh, and then they hit their teenage years and the girls discover boys. No, <laughs> well, that's the thing. It's rare that they become the super pilots that could get their licenses at uh, 17 when you can. Uh, some can, but most of them can't. But if they're on the simulator, they get straight A's in school. They're involved in the band. They're, they're really like go, go, go kind of kids. Then they could probably do it when they're young. Okay, so now we're talking about simulators. You're starting to learn how to fly. Uh, it doesn't really help out uh, that much uh, as far as handling the airplane. It won't help you land uh, any better. Uh, in uh, well, For one student I had, uh, he was right into flight simulators, and uh, we were landing, and he was cutting the, cutting the engine power way high up in the air. And I'm like... <laughs> What are you doing? The what runway. Is, we still got Yeah, we still got to get down to the runway. Give it some power here. Oh, okay. But I mean, we'd be like a hundred, you know, hundred feet up in the air. He pulls the power back to idle and brings the nose up as if we're on the runway. But it's a hundred feet down. You can't do that. What are you so, doing? <laughs> well, I, I never lost it like that. <laughs> but uh, uh, I was like, oh, okay. Uh, 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 uh. Hmm. So I was trying to figure out. He kept doing this. I was like. Wait a minute! You fly a flight simulator, right? He says, "Oh yeah, all the time." It's like, what kind of airplane do you fly when you're doing the flight simulator? He says, "Oh, a 737." So he was landing the little airplane the way that he landed the 737 okay. in the gotcha. simulator. So I said, "Okay, I had to kind of break him of that habit. His, his mental mind, like his mind, is telling me I'm going to be on the ground." Well. When you're landing a 737, you're going to be 100 feet up in the air when you, the cockpit's 100 feet up in the air when you start bringing the throttles back. So it's like, yeah, okay, good job for a 737, but it doesn't work on a Cessna. And then so, okay, uh, so I told him, okay, if you are going to do that, put yourself in a plane. So he put himself in a plane called the Mooney. Uh, looked better. And okay. okay. Ended up getting his license. So, uh, yeah, so... It can be counterproductive uh, a little right. bit, um, but it, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing terrible. And then as you go on to, if you're doing instrument flying, which is uh, if you're flying uh, just with sole reference to the to the instruments that are in right. there, like maybe it's uh, uh, at night in cloud, uh, any, right. anywhere snowstorms, anywhere where there's zero visibility, uh, you could still fly relying on your instruments. 
Now that's where a simulator is very, very helpful. Okay. Uh, for the procedures for that to guide you to the runway. Fantastic. That's that's and that's a cheap way of doing it. And I recommend that to everybody. So it, there, at different stages of your flying uh, training, it can be uh, at first, you know, kind of motivational for you. And at the very end, very helpful and instructional for you. And you were saying like an iPad, right? Like a, a pilot can have a, an iPad um, in the cockpit and, and be pulling up radar. And, and also like that could oh, yeah. be really intimidating because like, it could seem like everybody's around you and really they're, they're over oh. and different, you know, elevations and they're like, oh my God, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We were talking before about that, how uh, some people, they, uh, uh, the technology is amazing now for uh, to, that you can get on your iPad. Uh, you got weather information, live time even, and all kinds of GPS and doodads and thingamajigs and finding all the other. <laughs> That's the official pilot term, by the way, <laughs> doodads and thingamajigs. Uh, but yeah, you can you can basically kind of have a, a live uh, a live radar feed on your on your iPad and you're flying around, and so you you'll kind of fall into the trap that a lot of air traffic controllers are in there too, depending on how, how close you, how tight you zoom in or how wide you zoom out on the radar. Uh, you you could think that like uh, you could be flying around on a beautiful day. You should be looking out the window, enjoying your day, but you're looking at your iPad. Cause if you have a screen, you look at screens, right? So uh, you're looking at your screen. Oh my gosh, there's airplanes around. Uh, we're gonna hit it and it's like where is it oh it's it's two miles over that way and a thousand feet high well oh, you okay. can't even see, you can barely see it maybe if you're looking for it so but you know you're gonna freak yourself out if you just think ah this guy's coming right towards me it's like yeah that's a, <laughs> that's delta they're at thirty thousand <laughs> feet you know <laughs> you can see his you can see his uh you know see the contrails up there you know? <laughs> But on your iPad, whoa, here he comes. So, yeah, it's uh, uh, I still always trade it. I'm kind of an old school analog kind of guy. And that is ideally what you want to get into a student at first is look out the window and then right, right. And add all the technology onto it later after that. So tell us about um, uh, Super Pilotish and and your channel. And by, by the way, so, so Graham has some videos he produced back in, in, in these are some animated uh, videos back mm. in 2010, 11, but there is one, <laughs> I forget the name of it, but anyway, it's, it's a, it's a veteran pilot and a younger pilot. And it's about a minute and a half long. My God, I've given it a hundred years. I think that week. was a uh, young pilot in the big city. It is. So. It is absolutely yeah. hilarious. And, and, and those have a, a ton of views. Um, but now, yeah. now you've been yeah, doing regular shows here for what about you know five six months and, and what what are you trying to accomplish with the channel um what, you know what are people going to receive when they subscribe and check okay. out super pilotish yeah so yeah the whole history of the the super pilotish channel was i was just kind of in between jobs uh, years ago and i found this uh, little thing called extra normal and uh it was free back then and it was just like oh I could type in this text and I could do this and that. And I make these little cartoons. So I stuck them on there. Hey, here's this YouTube thing too. I'll stick it on there. And I didn't think about it for really for years. And then uh, a little while, or actually no, at first when I stuck it up there, I got an email from a friend of mine and he said, Hey, you got to check out this cool video. And he sent me a link. It was my video. I was like, wow. <laughs> right. And I didn't hear, I didn't think anything about it for years being a YouTuber. I was busy uh, trying to 
trying to manage a flight school and do some other stuff there. And uh, yeah, so I was, uh, then one of my instructors came to me, he said, oh, you got to check out this cool video. And it was one of my little cartoons. So, and I thought, wow, these, uh, my, yeah, that's at the bottom. Uh, the, my original cartoons, there's like getting tons of views. So I thought, well, when I did wanted to, uh, when I did want to get to be a, uh, a, a YouTuber kind of guy, uh, semi-retired doing this, maybe bring a little bit of cash in, uh, once, uh, I get super famous and get super chats and stuff like you guys are doing or, well, you will be doing soon. <laughs> and Hopefully. Then, uh, yeah. And then, so I was like, well, I could do that. And then I was thinking, well, uh, there's really nobody uh, online that's a pilot. You can just go ask them questions about flying and stuff like that. No one, no one does any live streams. That's a pilot on a regular basis. So I figured, well, if I could do it uh, at, at a nice, uh, nice hour i'm thinking noon i was thinking maybe people could watch this if they're having lunch or something like that if they're because uh, i used to be in a machine shop you take your lunch at noon so nowadays everybody's on their phone so i was thinking how about i make up uh some kind of live chat thing talking about airplanes and uh people can watch it on their phone and something to do while you're having your sandwich at noon and then uh if anybody wants to you know maybe there's some people out there that they've never met a pilot in real life. And all you got to do is just show up uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon on the super pilot's channel. I'll answer all the questions you want. So, and uh, no problem. <laughs> I'm just hanging out. Sure. So I figured I would do that. And then, uh, or sometimes uh, I, I was also thinking because I'm a little bit more advanced as an instructor, that if instructors themselves are having troubles, uh with their students i can help out that too because i mean i used to teach people how to teach people so <laughs> it's kind of like i kind of hit the top there and uh so it's like yeah I'm, i got i got all the answers man you know maybe not the airline stuff but i, I know people in the biz yeah so uh, but so i figured hey you want to you want to ask questions about uh about planes and talk airplanes or even like uh I was thinking too, uh, where I used to work, uh, every, uh, every Saturday and Sunday at 10 o'clock, all the old guys would get together and drink coffee and, and, you know, shoot the breeze about, Oh, this flying, this flying, that flying. So what I was thinking was maybe if I could get an online version of that, of all the old guys, well, they're not that tech savvy, I guess, but, uh, maybe the newer guys that can come by and, uh, drink their, uh, I don't know what are kids drinking these days? Red Bulls or something? Red Bulls, <laughs> yeah, mostly, right? Or, or, or is, that, is that like Gen X? Uh, that Gen X stuff now, Red Bull, Monster Energy drinks, is, you know, Mountain Dew, playing video games, you know, whatever. <laughs> take a Mountain Dew break, man. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, take a Mountain Dew break with the Super Pilotish channel and talk airplanes if you want. So that's what I figured. It's a forum. I want it to be like a little forum for people to. Uh, maybe I'll give a, a little little lesson or something like that then all the all the cool kids can hang out in the chat and make fun of the teacher or something and, and if they're arguing i can break the tie for them so that's kind of what i was thinking it would turn into it'll take a while but uh, yeah. i'm in no rush 
Well, I, you know, I, I would appreciate the channel since I found it. And, you know, I, I think you have a, a perfect length, right, to and and often you're bringing out your cardboard to to make the points or you're you're folding up something and you're like, here's a plane or here's an ant on the side, which, you know, goes into this acronym. And but but it's but it's informative and you're you're very good at presenting in an entertaining oh, way. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I I kind of think, um, um, you know, you have a, a Scott Adams um you know, quality in, in the way you present. I don't know if you follow Scott Adams says or, you know, Dilbert and stuff like that, but I, I, oh, I find yeah. it very, very similar. So, I mean, I, I'm like, oh, I'm this a is pretty great. good Scott Adams fan. This is, you know, yeah. this is it's, it's really cool. And uh, and so, you know, Bacon has put the the link out there and it will be in the show um, description and into the great. blog post of, of you know, finding a super pilotation. And as I said, you know, I'm hooked. And even today, you know, you had released, a, you know, here's here's the DVD and here's the field test of, of you know, putting uh, can, can you reflect light and be detected? You're like, absolutely not. <laughs> and then you know, all the DVD makers, you know, kind of got together, and they're like, you know, this is crazy. This guy, you know, the Memorex or whatever, they got together, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna, we gonna take know. this guy out. Yeah, I don't know. Garbage. <laughs> how we yeah, sell I'll, that for I'll, CDs for safety? I'll, I'll be banned from like places that sell DVDs right. now. You know, I'll be like silenced. You know? That's really the DVD market is safety. Or, it's not about or like music I put in my password and it won't record on my DVD. I'm like, oh, they silenced me. You know? But uh, oh my god, I'm just uh, telling the truth, man. It doesn't reflect. <laughs> <laughs> it's never worked for anybody, you know, yet it's been, and then, and we, we kind of talked about that, you know, if you're taking a, a DVD or a CD, that's kind of a fragile, larger item to pack. Like that would, you know, a shattered CD or DVD is a pretty messy yeah. thing to deal with. Hey, you can cut yourself on that too. <laughs> you know, it snaps in your backpack. Where's that thing? You, you just, oh, you, right, yeah, yeah. You created right a down, I know, I know I'm a guy. He had to go to the, uh, one of my friends, he, he had to go, he got like all these stitches down his hand uh, just because he was uh, taking a, like regular plastic out of the garbage. You know how you get like, I don't know, tools and stuff and it's right. all really hard there. You got to right. get a knife, a knife and cut it off. You can't just bust it apart. He just, he was reaching in the garbage for something and just sliced his hand right on that plastic. It's like, you can Holy do that smokes. on the DVD too. They should put warnings on those DVDs. It's not safe, man. <laughs> We're safe obsessed here over at the safety dock. Yeah. Man, I, I have a shredder in back of me uh, from, I think, the early 90s. And, and it has a slot in the top for for CDs or DVDs to shred. Mm -hmm. And it, yeah. that, thing, that thing is industrial. I mean, you could, if you I, took the engine out of whatever is running that thing, man, you could, you could get a plane going because that is... That will not grind down no matter what you're jamming. Yeah, they don't make them like they used to. <laughs> that is, that is, if, if this house is rated, you know, for safety doc, you know, secret documents here on safety, like that <laughs> will consume all of it in about 30 seconds. I could uh, take cool. all these file cabinets, probably take my, my book here and, and uh, shove it down. You know, by the way, so, so I've, I have, um, you know, well, don't don't shred the velocity of information. That's I will, awesome. I will, well, yeah. If you wouldn't mind, <laughs> um, so so you read 
the velocity of information. Uh, I've been lazy about putting a review on Amazon. Well, <laughs> it's, really it's really perky, or not perky, it's quirky how they do international reviews because people in Canada have contacted me, right? And and they've said, you know, from Squamish or wherever, and they're like, I posted a review and it's not it's not showing up like from my friend in the States. I have no, I have no control over that, right? It's yeah, Amazon. I, I, I wonder if there's a difference between Amazon ca because people okay. contact me well, and they're like they're, i'm in you know you know arab emirates and i left a review and, and then they get mad at me and they're like you know and i and then they're like is this graham did he have part of you know is he part of doing like your web stuff i, was, I don't know did he used to work at amazon i think he still does on the side he consults and well, then it no one, turns well, no one that ever worked at amazon would ever have a grudge <laughs> against them right yeah so, so but if you wouldn't mind um you know i would you know what inspired you or were you forced to do this i mean was it was it like uh you know some kind of this or a year in prison or, no no it was like well i was thinking who is the safety doc guy and what's his real agenda that's what i was right. thinking he's got an agenda i know he does no it's like i just thought i'd check it out and uh so thanks for uh, sending that to me uh it was uh you know i would say you know my my informal review of it uh would be you know, I was kind of thinking about the exact same thing that you were doing when all that stuff hit. It was like, this should be chronicled somehow, exactly what's right. happening. But I like the way that you chronicled it in a way of what decisions were getting made, what information we were getting, because that, that was a big deal where nobody right. knew what was what. Was it, I heard this, I heard that, I heard that. And I, I guess for myself, it was uh, a little different than most people because you know, everybody lives on their phone these days pretty much but i don't so uh, it was kind of weird seeing everyone freak out and i'm like what I'm, I'm i'm out in the back drinking a beer watching my tomatoes grow and everyone's freaking out and there's like squirrels running around and birds are flying it's like what's the big deal you know like yeah i don't, I don't know anyone no one uh, no one i know is uh doing anything weird so uh Anyways, I think everyone did the best they could with what information they had. And I like the way that you uh, you, you kind of uh, kind of put it all together in a, a kind of a sociological, psychological way that uh, I think could be pretty helpful if there's anything like that ever happens in the future and what you could look forward to and anticipate maybe. Uh, that's that's kind of my take on it. Was there any like particular story? Graham's like, damn it, I didn't read the book. <laughs> oh, oh now you need a book review. To, just, you need me to do a book review to prove that I actually took in the content. What, was there like what, okay? What, uh, like, the, the, the crab boat guy, like you know, a lot of people say like Robert Travis's <laughs> story, like really, you know, kind of stuck with me. Yeah, I've heard that was a, even before I read about that book. I knew okay. that was a really dangerous job that paid a lot, but uh, uh, let me see. I'd say uh, probably the thing that really. Uh, I guess that kind of comes to my mind that, I mean, everyone was so stressed during that time. And a lot of people had troubles with, you know, people know people that uh, committed suicide or tried to, or, right. you know, right. it, it was tough for a lot of people uh, losing their jobs, doing, you know, just, you know, it was, uh, you're essential, you're not essential. Right. I mean, I know some guys that are, you know, musicians and they were out of work for a year and what do you do? And so, uh, yeah, so it was kind of like, it was interesting to, I don't know, where was I going with this or out of work? Oh, about how uh, sociologically, what was it? It was after 90 days, people start doing like group things uh, that make them 
uh, you know, deal with the stress. Uh, right. Yeah. You gave the example of how people put left their Christmas decorations up a lot yes. longer. Yeah. I noticed that too. And, uh, you know, it, what you could anticipate after 90 days, there's got to be some kind of thing, you know, uh, banging the pots over in England for the healthcare workers yep. and stuff. Exactly. Yeah. And it wasn't really so much to do with the uh, health at all, but for morale. And yes. so it was like that was, that was something interesting that I could see. If, say we're going through like a, uh, I'm thinking in my mind, if I'm extrapolating off of that, you'd be, let's just say we have an absolutely brutal, you know, recession, depression or something like that. Right. Well, anticipate 90 days from now, we're going to have a party. So, yeah. <laughs> no, no. And, and so I appreciate that you, you know, that well, one, right? You, you, you read the book. And, and when I, so when when the whole kind of 2020 stuff uh, kicked off in March, uh, so so in my first book, School of Errors, so School of Errors um, has three chapters devoted to 9/11 um, and the harbor rescue of 500,000 people in nine hours, and I, and I worked with the New York City Department of Planning and the whole psychology right of of why did people believe when they went to the harbor that the boats would be rescuing them versus the boats would be coming in because they were terrified that they were going to be attacked, you know, so the boats are putting to shore. So like, how did this rescue actually manifest? And um, so, so one of the things I remember very clearly is people saying, um, you know, when planes, for example, were grounded during 9-11, it gave astronomers a rare opportunity to go out and to get some, you know, footage right there whatever that they couldn't do because yeah. otherwise it would be interfered with by yeah, planes, there was, less, like there was less cloud formation yeah yeah so so when i when i when i obviously all of us realized but i was like i have the opportunity to to write about this like in vivo so right as things started to unfold in in march it was it was interesting because i gave a, a big presentation for a national organization uh, in february and <laughs> i changed the last slide in that and it was about kind of anticipating your risk and stuff and i said yeah you know you might want to be thinking right now for all of your schools of like what happens if we have to shut down because of pandemic and it's kind of you know foretelling that that was in this this thing mm -hmm. and and then yeah, four weeks later it happens but um, to actually write it as it was happening and then to be interviewing these people and to have these 471 endnotes and graphics and things. I think it's, um, it, it is a, a, a fascinating kind of archival document, 12 interviews. So it has this conversational tone, but you know, I'll go through Graham and, and I'll go and present about the book. I'll go places. And when I talk about essential and non-essential, more than half the people in the audience be like, oh yeah, that did happen. And I'm like, whoa, like, how do you forget that? You know, you woke up and you were doing yeah. essential or not. And, and, and I think there's this, this huge psychological <clears throat> blocking out, right? So, so I kind of, yeah, you know, replay things in the book and there's a chronology of the book. And, mm -hmm. um, and I, I don't think people dealt with a lot of, of the emotion. And I remember walking um, in my neighborhood and my neighbors um, next to me, they're, you know, 80s and 90s, and they would come out like halfway on their driveway and I'd be on the street and they're like, is this the safe distance, right? Is this how we're supposed to go? And how's it going for you? Yeah. And I don't know. And, you know, oh. and, and all this stuff. And are your stocks going down? I'm like, no, I only invest in Canadian companies, you know, so we're all good. <laughs> and they're like, really? I'm like, I have no comment on that. Fortunately not. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but it was, it was so strange. So, so it's fun. And actually the book um, was a, was a finalist for the SI Hayakawa um, semantic uh, book prize here in the States. And um, it was decided over the weekend, but they never made it public. So I'm trying to be like, so you might've won a secret prize. I might've won. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, and if I'll I tell did, you what, you give me fifty bucks, and I'll <laughs> tell you if you won the secret prize or not. <laughs> so I was, I was kind of like throughout. Yeah, just the send day. it to my Nigeria post office box. <laughs> It'll be right over to you. <laughs> so and and uh, you know, but so so we'll see, we'll see what happens. But it, it was, it was. Um, I don't know if it was, I would say, therapeutic or it was what it was like to write the book in the moment. You can laminate everything to context and time where like forensically, if you were to go back and write about it, you would have so many things that you would be missing, right? Oh, yeah. Captured in the book. Well, so, you know, one of those things you were talking about, just uh, how you'd mention it to somebody and they say, oh, yeah, I forgot that happened. Right. Yeah. You know, everyone forgot about the Mu variant. Remember there was a Mu variant that everyone looked at and they're like, how do you pronounce that? It's like right. the Mu, 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 what is that little... What what is that thing? And then it disappeared, and everyone forgot about the mu variant. So that was something that was really going to kill you, but everyone forgot about it. So I guess it went away. <laughs> so it is. But I, you know, I read that somewhere, and it was like mu variant. It was like boom. It was totally gone out of my head until some. Uh, I read something about it like months later, and it was like, whoa! I forgot that was a big deal when it came out. Right. Because you, the only reason I remembered it was because you couldn't pronounce it. <laughs> so like the moo or mu or what? And but it, it just like it. I don't know what it was. The uh, maybe the velocity was too fast and it went through one ear and out the other. <laughs> so, anyways, and I, you know, and 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 from the book, once you hit ninety days into a chaos situation, people really start to to trim their attention, right? And they do crowd in. They're like, I'm not going to go out and do these types of things, and I want to have comfort items and. And, uh, and oh, so sold out of potato chips for months, <laughs> right? As you're interacting with people, um, just in, in safety. And I would work with, uh, I was still teaching my university courses at the time, someone online and others, you know, we would all be masked up and socially distanced at which I realized like, um, I, I like, I had a hard time teaching in person with a mask for several hours. Um, I just mm -hmm. like keeping my stamina up and stuff like that versus, um, you know, now we're, we're not required to be masked, but, um, but it was it was just I, I spent a lot of time teaching people and making them aware of, you know, you're, right now you're dealing with people who are at a finite voltage point. Right. So they've they're saturated. They're not going to go any further. Um, so you need to meet them where they're at. Like so if you have all these initiatives, you have to pull a lot of them off the plate, you know, like how and just focus on, you know, how are they doing? Give them a chance to talk. Make sure that they're not working 24 hours because, you know, that was something, too, of, of your eight to three, eight to four day, you know, really got messed up and people just were checking email all the time, working remote. So, so there's a, there's a lot of neat, but I, so I listened to the book over the weekend in, you know, the audiobook version and I'm like, Oh God, it's narrated by Ben Hawk, who's a professional actor. So it also has, um, has that, uh, you know, so school of errors was narrated by me. So it's a much easier price point to get into because uh, I am no professional <laughs> narrator. Um, and even as I go back, I'm like, how do I even pronounce like this, this word or I had some you know, weird I get hung <laughs> up on and I'm like, let's just go with it. But, uh, but yeah, Ben Hawk and, uh, narrated to philosophy of information, but it, it was cool. Like, you know, I, have you ever written, uh, anything, any, you know, stuff to be published or blog posts? You got a blog going out there? Uh, no, uh, I don't know. Uh, it's here and there. I've dabbled in little stories here and there, uh, but for, uh, maybe that kind of shows up a little bit in my, uh, my little cartoons that it's a little bit of a storyline and a little bit of a hook for your 
punchlines or something like that. But generally, I don't really write anything. I do. Uh, I'm just going to. Well, you know, I don't want my life to turn into something where I'm just living on a phone or living on a computer or something like that. Right. And, and uh, I, with there's there's no shortage of uh, the time suckers. They could just like, oh, I could check Facebook all day. I could check Twitter all day. I could check Instagram all day. I could <laughs> I could plug my head into TikTok and just get totally whacked out. Uh, you know, I could watch YouTube all day. So. Uh, I, I guess I'm of the generation where you still got to go out and smell the roses every once in a while. So, right. and I don't want to like this. I don't want this YouTube thing to turn into some kind of 80 hour a week job. That ain't happening. You know, I don't pay myself enough to do that. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's like, and uh, yeah, so basically I just said, I, I've made like three posts on Twitter that I don't even know how to use that thing. And uh, just, just go to YouTube, and I made up this website that looks really bad, but because uh, I did it myself, it, it really shows. So uh, my website is see uh, before I uh, started my uh, my channel, I was reading this book. It was called The Lean Startup, and uh, and what they talked about is like just to get the minimum viable product out there. So if you look at my website, that's a fantastic example of the minimum viable product because there is nothing maximal about it. There we go. I'm in there the base. I got that picture off the internet somewhere and it's just random garbage I put up there. But I put my post office box there if you want to send me some cardboard. And uh, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> so this is... And that's just some template that is, okay, do this. Okay, the information's there, minimum and but, uh one okay. day I, mm -hmm. oh th this lady though if you've seen this this lady says super pilotish has changed my life His yeah basement is not finished so i will not finish mine super pilotish has saved me thousands of dollars because i'm cheap like him that's right well what's her name uh she didn't put it out there and she's also from the internet without a t which is kind <laughs> of like an older version of the internet oh uh, yeah let me read that up <laughs> close there from internet oh you know what my girlfriend caught that the other day too but you know, the internet that's right that's the way it sounds right so anyways that's a so, here's your here's well, your I, I, if you want to get a bigger picture of her you just go on google and type picture of girl and then it's like free picture of girl okay good enough that's her i don't know who she is and i wrote that myself if you didn't figure it out oh, eh. but i no and i appreciate your sense of humor i mean that, that thanks, is for, thanks for the nitpicky uh spelling <laughs> there. i will fix that my, my, I, my minimum viable product is going to make that one incremental move <laughs> that's going to put me right over the top now thanks man when it was when i was teaching um last fall as i was starting to build out my my syllabus and stuff and whatever it was in August, like one of my, I sent out some stuff to students and say, you know, here's the books you have to get and whatever. One of my students, and I don't, I don't promote my own website in, in any of my classes, but he said, Hey, like, you know, I was like just doing a search for you. And do you know, your website has been hacked by like a pharmaceutical Viagra type thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> and uh, I went in and my God, it was like oh, the yeah. whole thing. So I had to get a hold of my website. Were they provider. giving you a commission at least or anything? Oh no. <laughs> I, I'm like, this is, it was really bad timing. Cause I had other kind of professional things that I was doing at the time, yeah. um, presentations and, and I'm like, you, you know, you have to go in and fix this. And, and they did, you know, thankfully now everything's back to normal, but I'm, I, I didn't know. I didn't mean, I don't, 
I typically don't go and search the site from the net, and that's well, the way it would I, I show up. I don't even up. know how many people actually go to websites anymore. You know, it's just kind of. I have no. Yeah, I don't track. I've. I, you're right. Like my my webs my website is I think good, but it has it's the same website from eight years ago. I just continue to update the blog post and. Mm-hmm. Right. No one ever asks you, like, where's your website? I don't, I don't get asked that anymore. Um, I don't know if I ever got asked that, but. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Only yeah. us, old, uh, us old guys have websites. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when you had to type in www. <laughs> back in my day. Oh, my God. That is so funny. Yeah, now that you mentioned it, I don't have any trackers on the backside. But, yeah, it probably gets like three hits a year or something like that. Eh, so Whatever. Uh, it's there. So- so, so today, today's show um, has, you know, Graham Wilson um, from Windsor, uh, Ontario. Uh, so we've been talking you know, about super pilotish. So he's pas- passionate about, you know, flying. Also, you know, flight instructor has his channel, super pilotish, which uh, is a combination of uh, flying and humor, right? And, and very tactful, though. And I just, I, I love the content. Uh, Graham, I think you just have a, a really natural, just entertaining, conversational delivery style. I, I love oh, it; it's really good. Thanks, and you you have a you have a camera that actually shows colors and depth, and you know things like that. That I'm like, oh my god! Like this guy's technology is amazing. Well, um, you'll have to. My neighbor Travis gave it to me. I gotta <laughs> I gotta give it back to him one of these days. So I gotta make some money or something. I'm not buying a new camera. It's like forget it. Travis is like, you know, he takes you and he's like, listen, man, this is going to blow your mind. Like, this is like, you know, 32 like, color depth and all of this stuff. Like, you'll, you'll yeah. be. Oh, well, I, I told you secretly, uh, I told you secretly before what kind it is. So we'll, we'll yeah. see if anything changes on your end. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I, I'm running uh, this, this, this kind of obscure uh, uh, setup uh, going. Um, so there has to, there have to be some decisions made down here in the business oh, side boy, of the oh, office boy. of uh, what we're going to do. And then, you know, there's this, so if we do the pilot thing, then all that's out the window. We got to put all our resources into like, you I know, detected the, the, uh, the color was off a little bit. <laughs> What's the risk level? Not too much. I don't think I'll lose too many right, viewers. Right. But... What should I choose to do here? <laughs> it's kind of a feature of the show. You know, okay. people recognize. Well, what you can do now is identify what you got to do and then make your plan and then just do your plan, get your new camera, <laughs> and then you evaluate it afterwards and say, hey, how's my color, guys? There you go. Decide I, model. I upgraded to uh, UCAM 10 from UCAM 9 last week. UCAM 10. So this is all being, that's where I can bring in the goofy graphics and stuff like that. Oh, but, okay. Uh, but UCAM 10's main thing <laughs> was, and it, it's forty. It was a forty-four dollar upgrade, and I was like, okay, you know, like we oh. are, we are in good shape here with this. Um, but the problem, so it was really marketing as you can go in and do real-time um, makeup, right? Or you can change your appearance and, and your lighting. And that it, you can't do that at man, all. You, like, you, know, that's you a don't lot. have to change, man. We like you just the way you are. <laughs> <laughs> and if you if you go in and actually start to do that, it starts you 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 start to appear. Um, uh, so yeah, I don't know if it's showing up right right now. You turn into a lizard or something. It, it really starts to to make things pretty questionable. So um, this whole real time functioning is um, and here's like an auto lighting and oh and, yeah uh, yeah and, and I, but but it, it but it's it's exactly the it's ucam 9 just called ucam 10 there's nothing different and it's not at all like i thought it would be so i'm kind of disappointed in that and you know one of those life disappointments like oh yeah now i'm going to be able to 
you know, control the Asbury first world light exposure <laughs> and I'll put the $44 down there. Sure. And yeah. then, you know, I upgrade it. I'm like, it's the same thing. Like actually it's, it's a, it's a more difficult, uh, interface. Like, I don't like this. Can I downgrade? Do you live in Canada? I'm like, uh, yeah, no, just, uh, no. Just get buddy buddy with your neighbors and say, "Hey, can I borrow that?" <laughs> oh my god! And then you just kind of hide from him for a while. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I. Uh, my my goodness. So, um, so so everybody, yeah, super pilotish. Um, so Graham, you do shows. Uh, is it is it Monday, Wednesday, and I do it uh, Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon Eastern in my basement. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, so Monday, Wednesday, at noon Eastern. So, so I, I have what here. This is a, this is a, a conversion calculator for time zones. So, oh, that is okay. a, no, it's not actually. It's a, it's a, I, but I have a hell of a time with them. Like you're east, you know. Like I cheer for yeah. people if you're central. Like you know, if I'm doing anything, like you're central time. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I'm so. out in time. But, but you guys are minorities, right? Or <laughs> no? Is, is Chicago in? Uh, it is central. Central? It's central time. Okay. Well, you got a major hub there, so you're good. I guess it's those mountain people that really get, uh, they really get the short end of the stick. Right. Bacon Maldito there, uh, what coastal time they call it or Western time? I don't know what it's called, but it's two hours different. So uh, yeah. by the time he starts his show up, it's already like ten o'clock here. And mm -hmm. but yeah, the the whole time. Thankfully, I don't live close to one of those time zone well, lines. Yeah, and that's another thing too. There, that's how we kind of uh, at the goddamn Bacon's channel there. Right, you couldn't sleep the one night. <laughs> I got up really early like I normally do, and I'm just like, hey, let's check the computer. And, like, you're on there, and goddamn bacon's on there. I'm like, it's 6 o'clock in the morning. This guy's... And then it's like, but I'll watch for a while. You know, it's one of those things uh, that we kind of got chit-chatting there through bacon. So thanks a lot, Mr. Bacon, for uh, uh, hooking me in the safety dock up. Not yeah. in, like, hooking up way, but, you know. <laughs> Our good friend Bacon Maldito out in the uh, greater Inglewood area, although that's not exactly where he's at right now, but uh, but we'll, we'll try to keep it a little bit anonymous uh, for him. But uh, Bacon is kind of a modern-day Magnum P.I., if you've ever seen that show. If you haven't, oh, yeah. you can find I got the, the shirt, man. <laughs> you, you, you do. Graham has the shirts. He is a, a very much, uh, you know, our contemporary Tom Selleck is what he's known as. Where he uh, I could never get a mustache like that. Right? Mine would look kind of like 70s cheesy part. And then it wouldn't even show up on the camera. So it's like, I'm not even going to get by them. I'm not even going to try the mustache. It was, it was really I'll very long, but that's it. it. I could, yeah, I could do, I, but yeah, CTS. Oh, it's contemporary time. So like, yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah, you know, there was flying there, right? Um, what was it not? T oh, t yeah. Who had the, who had the, 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 helicopter. Man, he had the helicopter? Yeah. Yeah. Because so, it was know, Thomas Calvin and then, uh, the, he called him TM Thomas Magnum. So there's okay. two Thomas there. Yeah. The guy just died actually a little while ago. That Holy actor. smokes. Yeah. Now Graham's putting a downer at the end of the yeah, show. Here in Zippy a month ago. It's too bad. No reunion tours, but oh, well. Oh it, the Magnum PI was still totally awesome, I think. Yeah, yeah, I remember Magnum PI uh, and uh, Fantasy Island. You know, Love Boat is kind of all around. Generation like, X, baby, <laughs> all the way, <laughs> all around that stuff. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that was. I, I, I actually have the Magnum PI uh, soundtrack. Seriously, in back of me like, in the CD case. Oh, on CD. Oh, you're not um, hardcore. It'd be hardcore if you're on cassette, man. Yeah, I don't. I, I still have a cassette player back 
well, there's a printer. You can see what back of me is a cassette player that I've, I've oh, well, used. Okay. But uh, you don't yeah. get the A plus. You just get the A for having the I, cool, cool soundtrack. <laughs> it is. It is cool. And Rockford Files, you know, is another cool soundtrack. Simon and yeah. Simon. You know, yeah. I don't. You know, uh, that stuff was uh, that was pretty cool. Anyone who knows, well, I mean, you're like, how would you know? But actually, my car. I have a lot of like. Um, TV jingles like the Dr. Pepper song I have on a thumb drive. So like as I'm driving around, right? You know, I'm like, hey, Dr. Pepper. You're like, what's going on over here? This guy getting paid from the 608 to advertise this? Or yeah, I don't know, man. You know, it's like the theme song. A lot of people don't know Dr. Pepper was, you know, formulated in Canada. And I'm like, well, <laughs> by God, go get me some. Uh, so, I thought Dr. Pepper was made in Texas. Sure. <laughs> it was made in Texas. But, you know, a lot of people say Texas is southern Canada. You know, I don't know. I had, some people uh, said that. Red Fox said that once. Hmm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but, I got this Red Fox joke for you. No, I, I can't say any of them because uh, I like to keep my uh, show all nice and PG. So. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah. when, I, when I was teaching on Saturday, I... So, so kind of like what we're doing right now, this is very much how it is eight hours when I'm teaching a university law class and people don't expect that coming in. So I, I immediately have to say, this is going to be like eight hours of edutainment. Like it's, it's like Willy Wonka at the start of Willy Wonka and the, the chocolate factory. Mm-hmm. Nothing is going to be dangerous. It's going to, but you know, there's going to be twists and turns around every corner and, and, uh, and I also, you know, have to, to kind of preface the people, like I might just stop in the moment and say, you know, go on your computer and bring up your board policy on like, you know, whatever, uh, you know, if you're trying to, um, search off property for a student or something, is there a board policy? Is there, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and then, you know, people kind of adjust, they calibrate to that. They're like, okay, like, this is the way I said, I'm not, you know, I just, I'm genuinely this way. And I think it's good for us as a class to have this kind of level of energy. And I really love doing this. And. And I was professor of the year last year. There's a plaque back there with uh with hey, that. And I think it's kind of like you know one of those things, and it's one of those things you get to in life too. Where you, you know, can you do you want to be the uh, uh, kind of a professor who's like you know just I don't know like boring or whatever, or do you want to be kind of lively and fun? You know, like I I always inject. Yeah, that. It's, uh, it's however you want to live your life. You know, some people are just miserable their whole life, and yeah. they, got, they love being that way. So good for you, but. You go be miserable over there. I'm going to have fun with the safety doc over here. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so it is kind of that way. Um, so anything else you want to uh, tell our audience here as we shut things down, Graham? No, uh, nothing to tell the audience. Uh, well, actually, yes, I should say something to the audience. Thanks for uh, thanks for listening, audience. I know as a safety doc, well, thank you, too. But I'd like to thank you, too. And thanks a lot, David, for uh, having me on. And uh, giving me your uh, book, The uh, Velocity of Information, beforehand. And, uh, yeah, this was a blast. So, uh, anyways, uh, anybody, if you want, you can check me out Monday, Wednesday, Friday at noon Eastern on the Super Pilotish channel on YouTube. So, I think it's about, I don't have my big pilot watch on right now, but I can kind of tell it's about cocktail hour. (laughs) It is about cocktail hour. (laughs) So let me go uh, quickly through the chat to make sure there isn't uh, some some question that someone sure. has posted, you know, like yep. four times in here of saying, answer this. Um, and just to, yeah, uh, just make sure. Um, okay, we're good. We're good. We're good. A ringing endorsement from Corey Slater. Uh, Bacon got an amen. Um, all right. I just make sure. Okay. It looks like we're good. 
God okay. bless. Stay safe, says Jordan. Ron Wayne is saying thanks for coming on, Graham. So, yeah, I appreciate it very much. So, well, everybody, we, we are going to take it out here. Uh, Graham, if you want to hang around uh, a minute backstage here, but if you haven't hit the thumbs up or subscribe, please do so. Again, uh, Super Pilotish has been our guest, Graham Wilson Excellent. from Windsor, Ontario. This has been a fantastic show. I've, I've had too much fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, good. All right. Well, thank you, everybody.